I'm so glad we came to get our vaccines together. It's been so long since we shared a tender embrace like we usually do before and after every episode. And sometimes in the middle, sometimes they're not even an episode. Just a couple more minutes and this six feet between us will become one and then zero. Because that's when the tender embracing happens. (sighs) I can't wait to smell bad deli food in your sweat. I can't wait to feel those chicken wings you call shoulders digging into my neck again. It's It's been been so long. Nurse, I'm ready for my close-up with a needle. All right, this'll hoit. Ow! Ooh, do me. Ow! But I liked it. Now the time has come for the aforementioned tender embracing. Four feet away. Get over here, you old so-and-so. I'm going to super spread my love all over you. Two feet away. I can smell your free cologne samples from here. Touchdown! I've been dreaming of this moment since March, back when we called dreams night terrors. You have even more cysts than I remember. Your skin, she's as leathery as ever. Oh, those hangnails, you kept them for me? Ah, your ever-expanding scalp. You're balder than ever, and yet more dandruff? Bravo! I hope this moment never- Excuse me! That'll be one stimulus check each. Whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean? (laughs) Didn't you read the fine print on the new stimulus check? That money was only meant to be used to pay for the vaccine and the vaccine alone. What do you think? The government's just gonna give you money? What is this, March? You didn't spend it already, did ya? Of course I did. It was free money. You can have this back when you get $600. Lousy socialist beatniks. Greg, we're still embracing and now we're not protected from the virus. I guess we have to stay embracing? Until we know it's safe to let go. You mean we can't see our families and have to spend every waking and sleeping minute together for who knows how long? This is gonna be... horrible. Yeah. Horrible. Do you want to a 50 years of great! One year later! And the last piece? Oh, kinky. Hey, did you hear there hasn't been a new case of COVID-19 in four months? Oh, great. Uh, Well, I guess we can let go of each other now. Yeah, I, I, I guess so. Hey, do you think that there hasn't been a new case of COVID-19 because we haven't let go of each other? Yes. Me too. I'll order the puzzle for nine and a half weeks. The Simpsons. Season one, episode one. Starts in five, four, three, two, one. I only do erotic puzzles. America. <laughs> Happy birthday, America. We're recording our 4th of July episode in yeah. December. Was America not founded January 1st, 0000? <laughs> America was founded the day Jesus was born, and we all know it. Yeah. January 1st. <laughs> January 1st, 0000. And before that was dinosaurs. Yeah, their calendar was just one block back then. Yeah. Before that was millions of years of realistic evolution, <laughs> and then Jesus was born, and that was it. Yeah. Get rid of those. You couldn't ask those people to make a calendar. 
calendar. They didn't know. And then Jesus was born, and they're like, I got an idea. We got we to gotta start marking these days down. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. The original count. <laughs> Wait, that's not, uh, that, that's not that's the count. That's, the, that's what's her name from the, the lady Godfather. who gets blown up. <laughs> Could she not have also been auditioning to be the count? <laughs> She's coming to America. She needed a job. I know a street she can go to. <laughs> okay, so hey, January 1st, welcome to what promises to be uh, just as bad of a year. Yeah, yeah. I love people who are like, it's only another week of this. Like, yeah. it's not going to stop. It, it could have been good had we not had months of a running sprint to jump into a mm-hmm. pile of dog doo-doo, I'll say it. That will be 2021. We all got on a train that can't be stopped till maybe August. Yeah, and there, um, it's... Um going to come up with uh, another analogy for a train speeding towards uh, nothing, uh, no tracks, well, if, no world, but you know. Whatever. If one train leaves 2020 and another one's coming from 2022, yeah. uh, when will they interact with each other? Monday, Tuesday, <laughs> as the Lord once said, Monday, Monday, Tuesday, Tuesday. I come to America. <laughs> okay, so, okay. So. Okay, so enough uh, bad accents and stereotypes. Of Jesus. Of oh, Jesus as Abalonia from The Godfather. It's not Abalonia. What She's is not it? F- Apollonia. Oh, that's that's right, Abalonia is from Purple Rain. I'm getting all my women confused. Oh, Abalonia is in the ocean. Do you not listen to Kanye West like Apollonia? Look, let's let's get into what we did last month in December, the very merry month of December. You uh, go first. Yeah. Yeah, I'll you take it. You said it, it from like, here. yeah, like I have a ponytail now. Yeah, I go first. Okay, I don't have a ponytail now. I have a ponytail right now. <laughs> <laughs> my hair is too long and it's on my neck, and I don't want to go uh, die from a haircut. <laughs> so, and if I cut it myself, I will die from other reasons. From, yeah. From the stature Blood loss, I lose. Yeah. <laughs> I cut the cartilage off yeah. my ear, and now I'm dying. <laughs> my hair has veins in it. <laughs> so, I need a very professional person <laughs> to cut it. My uh, thing from last month, pretty much the only thing I did, Christmas Tree Lane in Altadena. Yeah. It's on, of course, Santa Rosa Avenue. It is like a mile long. Yeah. This was the hundredth year that they've been doing it. And they really? have the, have you been to it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, I went like maybe what if not I? last year. The Rip. Oh, the 98th anniversary. Well, they didn't really care then. They were phoning it in. Yeah. They, they found a new life in uh, this <laughs> century. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, it's, I want to say, because the White Oak Street in Granada Hills where they filmed E.T. has the same sort of trees and it's called White Oak. So I assumed, oh, those are White Oaks, even yep. though there's nothing white about them, no. except the people that live the people right who there. live there, yeah. The people who plant them. Yeah. <laughs> Except the little boys who take their aliens there. But <laughs> those are, I think they're like Deodar trees. Okay. And I think those are the same trees there, but they, I don't know who does it and I don't know how they do it, but they're like 200 foot tall trees with Christmas lights all over them. And then all the houses are decorated along that stretch. And you can, we walk, we thought like, oh, we'll walk through oh, there. No, walk. no, no. There's no sidewalk. No, there's no sidewalk. Yeah. You're walking a heavily trafficked yeah. street. With people going really slowly, but also not looking where yeah, yeah, they're yeah, driving. Yeah, yeah. They're yeah. looking at everything but the road. Yeah. So I got hit like four times. Um, <laughs> I took it like a man. It was a nice, you know, yeah. Christmas was god awful this year mm-hmm. and it was something nice to do. Yeah. And, and that's where I brought it up to you. One house had Star Wars decorations uh-huh. and they were playing out loud. I'd never heard. It was not in the Christmas, the Star Wars Christmas special, but it was like a song of C-3PO wishing R2-D2 a Merry Christmas. Because it can't be from the holiday special because they're not celebrating Christmas. Christmas they're celebrating so Life Day. Happy yeah, Life Day. That Italian from uh, Sicily wasn't... <laughs> wasn't in Star Wars. Yeah. Tatooine. <laughs> Navarro. Alderaan. Yavin. It's crazy how many systems I spit up so easily. <laughs> the system of Endor that has many moons. Can we just name all the Star Wars planets we know real quick? It's Coruscant. Uh, Dagobah. Naboo. <laughs> Naboo. <laughs> Hold me like you held me on Naboo. But yeah, I was, Melissa was like, is this from the, the holiday special? And I knew it couldn't be because I know they don't celebrate Christmas. So I was like, no, they're celebrating Earth Day. Life Day. Yeah. They don't have Earth there either. That would be ridiculous. They have Christmas. They're celebrating 
celebrating Earth Day. <laughs> Go do it next uh, year. Yeah. The traffic really wasn't that bad. Like it looked when we drove by, there was mm-hmm. a long line, but everyone's moving the whole yeah, time. Yeah, they move pretty fast. They, yeah. j- you know, whoever's on the road, just run them down. <laughs> I think when Ada and I went, we walked for some of it. And yeah, then we're don't like, walk. Let's, yeah, it was cold and we were like, eh, let's go back to the car. And it was like, oh, this is a pretty steep street. And walking back to the car, we like, it was too agonizing. So <laughs> we're like, let's just go. I don't care about Christmas anymore. Let's just convert. Now. Let's convert. We don't have to deal with this. <laughs> let's go celebrate Earth Day. <laughs> that was my big Christmas festivity. What did you do in the last uh, month? Well, I won't get into the awful things that happened in the last two weeks and mm-hmm. the places where I went, like the tow yard or the sheriff station. Or the coronavirus testing <laughs> hotspot. We've been taking our dog to Alice's Dog Park in Pasadena on Orange Grove Is Boulevard. Is it related to Alice's Restaurant? Yeah. Do you know Alice's Restaurant? Is it a movie or a song? It's, I think it's both, actually, but okay. I think it started as a song. Okay. Arlo Guthrie's, like, 40-minute opus. Oh, God. <laughs> it's like Tom's Diner, but really It's twangy. not catchy? Okay. Yeah, it's not catchy. Yeah. There's no beat you can dance to, and he's yeah. just listing, like, an extensive menu from a diner. Okay, great. You know, his dad was a king of brevity and intent. <laughs> it skips a generation. Tootie <laughs> Guthrie, or whatever <laughs> stupid name his grandson will be called. But Alice's Dog Park is our, our favorite dog park, because the small dog park actually has grass hmm, and it's, it's just like a nice you have the san gabriel hills right there you're, you're pretty close to santa Ana, so like i've always liked the way the hills look when you're sitting in the stands of the the racetrack <laughs> so like you're in a good spot and at the same time every day the screamer birds will come by the what the screamer birds the, the green birds from in, like, oh yeah, Pasadena, yeah, yeah. They're like, <laughs> the dogs love that dogs <laughs> go crazy for it they absolutely love it um, where is this place Christmas it's kind of like closer to sierra madre i guess not so much pasadena but the website mm-hmm. listed pasadena east pasadena <laughs> it would be east Pasadena, but I think the actual area is if it's not Sierra Madre, then it's like the edge of Santa Anita. Or San Marino, sorry, San Marino. (laughs) This goes along with my streak of getting lost every single time I go to Pasadena because it it happened again. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. You don't know the city like I know the city, so. Your navigational prowess. Yeah. I enjoy dog parks. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. They're kind of therapeutic until your dog starts humping or someone goes for your dog's jugular. Or you start humping. Or you start humping. There's like a pack of like, uh, like a greyhound club, but like small greyhounds oh, so there's greyhounds. just like always like a gang of greyhounds running around <laughs> and boy do they hump every time i see a greyhound i think like i talk about it like it's an art piece like it's so sleekly designed what <laughs> look, a beautiful art deco dog look at is. the barrel chest <laughs> they're designed <laughs> so perfectly but they're like they're animals that like are alive uh, who did this who did this uh, who designed this greyhound who's the artist who did this uh, I, I like to just watch the dogs at the dog park yeah and i think it makes people uncomfortable oh it absolutely does as a dog owner now then i can tell you <laughs> speaking as the person i'm watching you, you won't let me into the dog park with you I don't have a dog. You can sit in your car. Don't get out of your car. Don't I used to be dogs. your dog. Yeah. <laughs> you used to take me to the park. Woof, woof, Greg. Woof, woof. <laughs> woof, woof. Yeah, that's much nicer than what I thought you were going to go with this past month of uh, long to... string of tragedies. Yeah, yeah. One after the other was a uh, uh, protect your catalytic converters. I'll tell you that now. Don't go into it, but just list the three or four things that happened to you just so people know what we're talking about. Don't go into it, but just list it. I got called from the bank. It wasn't just like they said, hi, we're your bank. The phone number on my phone phone popped up as the bank's number <laughs> but it just said the bank the bank yeah i got fraudulent charges on my card from that call went to the bank to deal with it and then that week got an email saying one of the tellers has covid you might have been exposed go get tested i couldn't get tested because of the surge in it until two days before christmas the day before i got tested my dad's truck got stolen at five in the morning uh, so we had to deal with that go to the sheriff's station once they found it i was 
taken to a tow yard near Ramona Gardens, and that was a big nightmare too. But yeah, those are the three things that happened. This to me. sounds like the like succession of events of a movie where like this is someone brought to the brink. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> this it's is the, the portrait of uh, this is Joker. This is the first act of a movie about a loser who gets confidence because he yeah. meets a girl. <laughs> this is literally how those movies. I start. can't wait for Act Three. <laughs> Hope he dies. Is it a tragedy? <laughs> <laughs> We're not rooting for him. He's sort of an anti-hero. Okay, so that was December. Let's get to this month. We have a listener question okay. from Zachary Wyman. Hi, he, Zachary Wyman. Hey, hey, Zachary Wyman. Do you like Zach? I think we went over this when he first became... I think he's a Patreon person, and okay. we asked the same thing. You yeah. had said something about Zach. I said something about Wyman. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Classic, classic, co- classic comedy a duo. classic Bob and Ray bit from us. Yeah. <laughs> you pitch it, I whiff at it. I get like four balls. <laughs> so he asks, are there any public art projects or features in the vicinity that you would recommend visiting, especially ones in spacious outdoor locations? I feel like this question is tailored to you. Because he had already seen the Great Wall, right? So from yeah, that, I, he's asking. Because the Great Wall is like the better of them. That's what I was going to say. But also the walking path isn't that big to see it. Yeah, it's not. It's not so, as spacious. So yeah. The one that came to mind that also isn't spacious is the Farmer John mural, which is a big, oh big piece. It's the whole building. That's a long building. Just bring your heaviest mass. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you could walk around the block. The sidewalk isn't that big and there's nowhere really that you're allowed to park around there because it's all industrial because um, it's Vernon. Unless you're a pig. <laughs> there's plenty of parking spots inside. But that's a, a very absurd, weird mural yeah, with a long I've, history. You showed me pictures of that. But not long history, just a weird history. <laughs> a foot long history. <laughs> me and Ada like to check out murals and stuff and I'm a big fan. Like we went to last month or maybe two months ago, we went to Ramona Gardens, which is over there. And the other one- oh, the tow yard? By the tow yard, yeah. There's the other one that's off of Olympic. I forget which one that is. There's the housing projects that have like all the Chicano murals from the 70s that are great. The site of McLogan's where we get all our sign painting supplies in downtown on Main Street has a little whole wall full of really great street art. Uh, well, my thing is uh, it's also murals, but a mural tour of Pacoima. That's what oh, I recommend. Oh, yeah. Because you could stay in your car. The, apparently, there's this stretch of Van Nuys that's called Mural Mile. There's maps of like, see this, 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 and okay. this one. But even along the side streets going more east into yeah. Pacoima, there's just every building that has enough wall yeah. will have a nice mural on. Like yeah. there's the one of Buddy Holly mm-hmm. and then there's a giant one of Danny Trejo. Yeah, that's right. he lives like around the corner, I yeah. guess. Uh, there's a couple of Richie Valens ones too because he lived out. No, in- not Buddy. Yeah. Wait, no. Yeah, Richie Valens. There's one with Buddy, Buddy Holly. Holly, the three of them, but there's so. more with Richie Valens. Uh, oh, um, the big bopper mural you're talking about? <laughs> I meant Richie Valens, not Buddy Holly. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, there's like three or four Richie Valens murals out there because he, he grew up yeah. around there. Him and Danny Trejo are yeah. the, the two tragic figures of Pacoima. If you could find like follow Levi Ponce or Levi Pounce I don't know how to say his last name it's Ponce might be Ponce it might be Pounce he's doing um, murals all over the city and he has really really good ones I'm a big fan of his work he Does just he one, did one on the side of the old Pioneer Market which is now like a Lassen's and Echo Park but he did a uh, the Virgin Mary in um, Pacoima too it's like my favorite because it's just like it's a little more photorealistic is she the Jesus uh, is mom yeah Not Jesus. Oh, I mean she is but she's also um, yeah what, what part of Italy was she from again was she Bethlehem could- Italy yeah. Is that the one from your joke with the smushed face? Or no, she... that's the one. Uh, it's on like Cesar Chavez going towards his LA. There's one that doesn't look. I mean, there's a couple that don't look great. but There's bound to be a few. There's bound. Yeah, uh, for sure. Let, look, let's get into the meat of our episode. Last month, we took way too long to get yeah. into the meat of it. It was all bun and then w- way too much meat and then a little <laughs> bit of bun at the end. This time, the proportions are correct. Yeah. Much like my body. <laughs> Hi. Hi, I have a it's ponytail. Like my BMI. <laughs> uh, so we're going to be talking about there's a lot of businesses around town right now that are 
already closed and several others that are on the brink of closing. Places like like we said before that we thought were protected by their reputation and now... Just like America, we thought we were protected by, by our, our reputation. reputation. We'd never get sick. <laughs> and yeah, they're just dropping like... Uh, yeah. Our original concept for this was, I think last month, Bob Baker, Marionette Theater put out a SOS. Yeah. Basically, like we need money to survive the next year because you know we had to close our theater down. And I had been thinking as well about the other theater that you're going to cover. Um, uh-huh. I'm just going to say it now. No, 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 no. Old Town Musical. <laughs> if you say it too many times, <laughs> they go out of business. So I wanted to do an episode where we kind of give the history of these two places and you wanted to put a couple more through. Yeah, because the there's, uh, there's a lot. I'm always there. trying to force more bills through. Yeah. You're always filibustering <laughs> me and I just want to get these bills signed. There's so many out there, but mm-hmm. there's a few that have a story to go along with it. So we wanted yeah. to cover those. To encourage all of you to see how important these places are and how... It, how donating will help keep them alive. Yeah, and how them bad it will be if we lose them. I just, yesterday, or what I, what I can't tell the days apart anymore, but a couple days ago... Four COVID tests ago. I was driving to the beach because I wanted to check out the, the Bob Baker window displays in Santa Monica and I was driving past Meltdown and Meltdown is yeah. rubble now. Meltdown, yeah. that's just a... And it, it like, like the car swerved. <laughs> it's very devastating place. I love that much. So you've seen it closed hurt, but now seeing it gone, like the building gone. Yeah, imagine how it's going to feel when it's condos in a year. Oh my God. Just imagine that image reminded swerve. me how important it is that we have to support and really put our backs against the wall for these places that we really love. Balls to the wall. I've always balls said to it. Wall uh, to the balls. Back balls to the wall. Balls, um, <laughs> balls to the balls. That's the <laughs> subtitle of our podcast. When the balls hit the fan. L.A. Meekly. <laughs> how do we decide? I'm, yeah, I'm going to start, start us first. Off. So the first one, you already said it, and that's just uh, that's just grand. But <laughs> Say it like I hadn't said it before. Old Town Music Hall. <laughs> he fell backwards yeah, out of your chair. R two D two style. <laughs> it's one big unit. I fall down. Uh, yeah, your legs lock up. Yeah, and they retract back into your body. <laughs> my, and just... my spine straightens, and I just fall straight back. And like an old comic strip, my feet are just in the air with gusts rising. So, do you like old music? No, that old town music. God. Just as long as there's whimsy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah! Spotlight on two people now named I Bill. I hate this podcast so much. When people are like, "I haven't heard of your podcast," I like, I'm so envious of them. Uh, why? Because they get to hear it for the first time. <laughs> Coming okay. up soon. Spotlight <laughs> on <laughs> two guys named Bill. Now we once went to a anniversary show at yeah. this theater, and they gave what was basically our research uh, process of history yeah. of this place. We're gonna play twenty news clippings that uh, are all saying the, the same, same thing, thing except one new thing each time yeah or one less thing each time yeah. and we had to sit through that before we could watch Lauren hardy short or yeah whatever whatever, whatever wc field goes <laughs> to space or whatever we were watching this will be more entertaining Please. for everybody so the el segundo old town music hall that's yes. the name of the place we're talking about if you haven't been there it might be one of the greatest places in town is one of maybe three places in the city where you can have an entertainment experience from a time that ended before our parents were even born yeah. and and one of the other two places is already on the list that we're going to be covering in this episode. This particular place, it was the brainchild of two men, Bill and Bill. Which one do you prefer? Bill or Bill? I kind of like Bill. Bill's great. <laughs> Bill's great. I don't like Bill, but Bill's great. Don't tell Bill, but I kind of <laughs> like Bill better. So I'll start with Bill. Okay. Uh, now actually, I'm going to start with Bill. Bill Kaufman was born in the year 1926 in Mena, Arkansas. He was born into a very repressed religious family who loathed music. Wow. They were the dad from Footloose. All of them. Every single <laughs> one of them. Of course, that meant Bill grew up loving music. He's yeah. uh, That's his re- Oh my God. Okay. Before we get into this, because I was thinking of girls from movies in the 80s, there's a clothing store 
on Ventura Boulevard over here, owned by the girlfriend from Back to the Future. Really? Yeah, I couldn't believe it. The original it. girlfriend from, not Elizabeth Shue. What? <laughs> sorry, yeah, okay, sorry, I- I'm confusing you. Not his the, mom. The girlfriend from the second one is a different girl than the girl in the first one, but they're playing the same girl, and I thought, does Elizabeth Shue own a thing? But no, the the first girlfriend. The girlfriend switch in one and two. Do they? Yeah. There's so much actors playing different characters in that movie, I got confused. Yeah, I think it's the second one. Elizabeth no, it's not, Shue? It's not Elizabeth Shue, it's, it's the girlfriend something from the first Wells. One. Wells, her last name is Wells. Okay, it might be the girlfriend from the first one. Elizabeth Shue's the one that falls asleep on the porch. But uh, then in the second one, she wakes up on the porch. Yeah, it's the same girl. All right, I'm very... Co- this is almost as confusing as uh, Back to the Future 2. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's pretty interesting, though. Sorry, I the more The more girlfriends from Back to the Future, the better, I always say. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Back to you, Bill. Bill grew up loving music because his family hated it. He loved it. Not just that he wanted to play music as well, but since his parents would have none of that, he would watch player pianos, like oh, the automatic yeah. ones around town, and match his fingers along to the keys that were being pressed down automatically. And after years of this, he had taught himself how to play piano. Wow. And was able to play along with the robots. It kind of reminds me, like, I think blues players used to cover their hands so you couldn't see what they're playing. I'm like, how effective is that really watching what? But yeah, uh, I guess it's on piano. It must be a little different. Got to protect those licks, man. <laughs> yeah, the robots don't mind if you steal a few of their <laughs> roles. <laughs> Luckily, he had an aunt who supported his sinful obsession and encouraged him to become a piano player in nightclubs, which um, I'm glad they used to support her, but I'm not going to encourage You're not going to sign off on nightclubs? Come on, I'm not going to encourage some kid to go hang out in nightclubs all you're, over Arkansas. You're not far off from his parents. No, 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 no. no. I'm, I'm his parents at the end of Footloose. <laughs> reluctantly accepting. Yeah, reluctantly <laughs> accepting it, but still like, I would never do that. You can do whichever you want, but you're not my kid anymore. <laughs> so eventually he made his way to Los Angeles and became a working musician and got hired to play at the Sirocco Bar okay. in Wilmington, where he stayed for 16 years. He, so he was like the resident piano guy, the piano man, if you will. Yeah. But sometime in the 50s, he became interested in the king of all keyboard-based instruments, the Mighty Wurlitzer. Hell yeah. For those of you who don't know, the Mighty Wurlitzer was a brand of pipe organ that had the ability to recreate the sounds of an entire orchestra, but being played by one person operating this insane jigsaw puzzle of keys and levers. And it is a jigsaw puzzle. And whenever we would go and see Bill play it, it, it looked like so well, intricate. Theirs, we'll get it more into theirs, but okay. theirs is a particularly crazy yeah. one. <laughs> they were popular in movie theaters in the early days of movies because mm-hmm. it was a way to fit an entire band complete with sound effects into a theater to play along with the silent movies without having to cram in a whole orchestra right. or having to pay a whole orchestra. But, you yeah. just pay. I'm sure it's the second one. Well, I'm sure the one guy got paid what the entire orchestra <laughs> would be paid. Right? Like four pennies. Why would a theater be stingy about the money? Give, to an six, give six shillings to the piano <laughs> man. Uh, you almost fell over again. And no, I, I was switching my legs. You got shocked that I said shillings and you... What? foreign currency <laughs> uh, which i don't understand what a shilling is is it a penny i, is that I a thought it was just a general amount of money <laughs> give him a general amount of money that should pay him <laughs> off you there in the window have this general amount of money <laughs> two general amounts of money if you're quick how much is that dog in the window it's a general amount of money how much is that doggy at the dog park that's what i'm always offering <laughs> leave them alone they're not yours <laughs> they will be <laughs> they will be bill kaufman he wanted to wield the ungodly power of the mighty Wurlitzer, yeah. but there was no self-playing mighty Wurlitzer yeah. he could copy off of this time this time he needed a non-robotic human to teach him and lucky for him he found probably the best possible person he could find to teach him how to play a mighty Wurlitzer. so living in la at the time was a man named jesse crawford who was a legendary organ player from the silent era who was known back then as the poet of the organ whoa jesse crawford huh yeah jesse crawford the poet of the organ jesse crawford jesse crawford jesse crawford 
poet of the organ. <laughs> he was the one who was playing the organ for the movies at the Million Dollar Theater oh, okay. downtown in their heyday. Yeah. But being the guy who provides live music for movies that had no music, his work was never recorded and nobody ever left the theater after seeing the chic raving about how <laughs> the live musical accompaniment was so good. It was so good. <laughs> so by the 50s, he was, you know, only like diehard yeah. movie people knew who this guy was, which is tragic mm-hmm. that he was, they, they wouldn't have been enjoying those movies they remembered if he hadn't been playing the exactly. music along with those movies. So by the 50s, he was teaching others how to play. And this is who Bill Kaufman went to. So he learned from literally the best. So he came to LA to learn that. No, Bill Kaufman had come to LA just to be a working musician. And by chance, Jesse Crawford, poet of the organ. Jesse Crawford? Jesse Crawford, poet of the organ. (laughs) He happened to be living in LA desperate for money. So meanwhile, there was a second Bill out there. This Bill was much younger, something of a little Bill, if you will. He was born October 4th, 1939 in Los Angeles. His name was William Charles Field, which I realized after I wrote this that his name was W.C. Field. <laughs> Could have got a lot more attention if he went by that name. Yeah. W.C. Field's <laughs> El Segundo Old Town Music Hall. So $5? I'm going to bring all my friends. To see the legendary W.C. Field's <laughs> Music Hall. So this Bill was the son of a dad who, <laughs> cool. who was the chief electrician for LAUSD. They call him the poet of electricity at LAUSD. Um, and a mom who is a secretary at LAUSD. So this guy was of LAUSD stock. Yeah. He was just a, an average guy from Los Angeles. And it only got more Los Angeles from there. One time, Little Bill was taken to the Barker Brothers, who we once talked about, the Barker Brothers department store. I remember making a joke about the Barker Brothers before because they created Dog Monopoly. Do you remember that? I remember that joke. I was just listening to it. What was I listening? Oh, I must have been listening to, it's not the Judy Garland episode. So I don't know. Who knows? I don't remember. Yeah, I have I think we talked about this last month. I just remember jokes we made mm-hmm. about places in Los Angeles. I was lying history. down the other day and out of nowhere. I think I texted it to you. Oh, it was yesterday. I texted yeah. you. Every time you listen to Dark Side of Moon out Munchkin hangs himself. Yeah. Which is like a flash just like And I read that I'm like, that was pretty funny. And then I thought, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> Have I said this before? And I paced my room like, which one of us wrote that? Which one of us came up with that? <laughs> Who could take credit for can it? I, could I put it in a packet? Did you see that James Stewart? No, not James Stewart. It's Frank Capra's granddaughter like gave decorations to that lady who was freaking out that her restaurant couldn't have outdoor dining no. over here. Weird, no. story. Um, Weird story. So anyway, he went to the Barker Brothers okay. department store downtown on 7th and Figueroa. And Beautiful building. And something there blew him away. And no, it wasn't that building. Or the dogs that were <laughs> playing poker there. It, and it also wasn't the 50% off quarter jackets it was that they had a pipe organ set up in the store being played live for people to listen to while they shopped mm-hmm. which sounds great i think i've been to like one or two stores where there's been like around the holidays live music being played yeah it just makes me want to buy 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 i don't think i've ever had that experience in my life but i grew up um... uh, it doesn't really happen at the dollar tree nope. so. <laughs> Goodwill doesn't have someone playing something? Maybe someone's trying out the piano. That's like Goodwill. <laughs> They're saying a bunch of racial serves while they play the piano. Is that normal? Is that what your experience was like? That's the Goodwill. That, <laughs> that's the Goodwill they're talking about. So he fell so deeply in love with this organ that his grandma would take him to the Barker Brothers just to listen to the organ and get that corduroy. Uh, he decided to devote the rest of his life to pipe organs and corduroy jackets. And he worked so hard that at age 12, he was hired to play the organ for the Los Angeles Theater downtown. Wow. At age 12, he 
was playing in one of the movie palaces on Broadway. The Los Angeles Theater. The Los Angeles okay. Theater. The Million Dollar Theater and the Los Angeles Theater, we've discussed in that one ep- our yeah. second episode or something. Yeah. And now we're finding out, oh, these were the guys actually working there. One of the guys we've met before. <laughs> so from there, he never really shot to stardom as no pipe organist yeah. ever has. But he made a living playing organ at churches and ice rinks around town and also repairing other organs. Which when they said ice rinks, I was thinking like people are just ice skating and they're playing an organ. But I guess they meant for hockey games. Yeah, he was for like, hockey games. I mentioned like baseball games. No, 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 no. It's nothing like that. It's more like what I said. I said ice rinks. So in 1958, so he was playing those. He was also repairing other organs to make money. Like a surgeon born for the very first time. Repairing people to make money. In 1958, the two bills collided through Bill Fields' organ teacher and their shared love of this weird instrument bound them together. So that's how they met. People always refer to them as the two bills, but they why didn't they call themselves the double bill? <laughs> I should have been in charge of marketing yeah, this place. You really should have been. Uh, they're on staff writer. Which they so clearly could afford. <laughs> Just by their good luck, but bad luck for organs overall. Around this time, the Fox West Theater chain was starting their slow decline and were selling off all their mighty Wurlitzers from their locations around Los Angeles. So they're just trying, you know, we don't use these anymore and we also need money because no one's coming to the theaters. The one from the location in Long Beach was from 1925 and was the biggest and most intact one around and was going for $2,000 and the double bill couldn't let this opportunity pass them. So they borrowed the money and bought it on June 12, 1958 before it was too late. So they that's where they got this old ass organ. But there were three... <laughs> that's the brand name. <laughs> The Mighty Wurlitzer brand old Old ass ass. organ. crop dusters yeah. they're fighting world war ii still <laughs> snoopy's at it again <laughs> if uh, you want to be a nazi living in silmar guess what we're gonna fight world war ii against you you shouldn't be flying your uh iron maidens <laughs> or whatever they call their crazy iron cross <laughs> now that's what they put on it oh what the what is it called the iron maiden <laughs> so the cockpit is actually a bunch of spikes and when you close it on you you, you die but <laughs> pretty cool image right we just those, had a color plane those iron germans maiden. are kinky people <laughs> they were really into that so they bought this organ there's so there's three problems now they had no way of moving it no place to store it and as intact as it was it was broken they bought a broken organ that they had no room for barely had the money for and couldn't move anywhere well bill couldn't fix it but bill could fix it right? <laughs> luckily bill was there <laughs> so to move it bill kaufman asked the merchant marines he met playing in the bar in wilmington to help but it took a week because they had to take it apart and could only do so after the theater was closed for the day so like the theater would, yeah. would do their last movie and then all these merchant marines would come <laughs> in and like rip pipes out of a, a wall since they had had nowhere of their own to put it, one of the bills managed to convince a relative to let them store it in their studio in Wilmington. But now the problem was the broken parts in the machine. It mm-hmm. wasn't, Mighty Wurlitzer wasn't selling new parts to their 1925 Mighty Wurlitzers. So they had to buy leftover parts from the Paramount United Artists theaters and one other theater that was also in downtown. Uh, then also a theater in Chicago. But even so, the repairs took them a year to get it Damn. properly working again. And this is in the day when they're not so out of date. Like, now I imagine it'd be really hard to repair a Even then, it was a 33-year-old That's true. extinct yeah. instrument. I guess so. If I was trying to find replacement pieces to my Crossfire board okay. game, which... <laughs> 
I mean, they have the number. I'll, <laughs> I'll try faxing them. <laughs> they discontinued these things. I forget when, but like it was not easy to find at all. Okay. But yeah, now definitely not Impossible at all. Impossible now, <laughs> but back then I'm sure it was... Back then, improbable. <laughs> so to teach them how to even repair this, they uh, got in contact with actual employees from the Wurlitzer company who had been around when these things were being made and knew everything about them. So they taught them. They, again, were learning from the best of how to repair this crazy mm-hmm. old ass instrument. During this process, they seemed to wheel it out to malls in a few places to test it out in mm-hmm. concert and also seemed to move it into a commercial building at one point where they gave shows. But an instrument like this needed a permanent home. They can't be wheeling a mighty Wurlitzer to Barker Brothers. Right. After 10 years of mostly being in storage, they saw an ad in the Daily Breeze for a theater for rent. It was located at 140 Richmond Street in El Segundo. This building was one of the few remaining original buildings from when that street was first built back in 1917. I'm not sure what it was used for for those first three years, but in 1920, it was bought by a guy named Edward L. Mayberry Jr., who decided to convert it into a theater to provide live performances for the workers at the Standard Oil Refinery, which is like next right. door. Yeah, it's if yeah. I throw a rock, I could hit the refinery. Yeah, and it will explode. And I'm not a good pitcher. <laughs> it's crazy when you leave that place. Every single time I've gone there, it's been, because it's right next to the ocean, so mm-hmm. it's been like thick fog, and yeah. I walk outside, and there's all these lights from the oil refinery. Maybe it's not fog. Maybe it's just oil Steve, refinery. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's right over there. So this place yeah. was to entertain those workers. Mm-hmm. And this opened in 1921 as the El Segundo State Theater and was able to entertain 200 workers at a time. And it usually did. They were always packed because what else are they yeah. going to do in El Segundo? And also, what else are they going to do now in El Segundo? <laughs> Not long after, though, it was converted to provide something oil refinery workers liked more than live performances movies. That's what those dirty I don't want to see a burlesque show with a beautiful woman. I want to watch the Charlie Chaplins. I don't want her to see me like this, covered in crude. (laughs) My arms covered in burn scars. Yeah, Go to the theater. (laughs) That was their health plan. So this lasted for a while showing movies to these people and then the depression hit of course it closed up in the mid-30s and spent some boring time as a chamber of commerce and then a baptist church but in 1944 when el segundo was booming again because of that thing that came after the great depression you know those airplanes that are still flying around the, yeah. the iron maidens of the sky it reopened as the el segundo theater and then got renamed the state theater in 1957 and then come 1968 it was up for rent and the double bill saw it as exactly what they were looking for and snatched it up this is the place they changed things up a bit like making a little more room by lowering the capacity to 188 seats which mm-hmm. could have fooled me but they also turned it into this weird old-timey wonderland yeah they hung two giant chandeliers over the seating they put up beautiful velvet curtains on the stage the lobby is a cozy laurel and hardy paradise yeah there's that weird thing that runs up the wall when you open the bathroom door mm-hmm. it's whimsical it's, it's very it's whimsical. Just a whimsical place it's sort of like when we were in um it reminds me a little bit not much but when we were in san pedro for that film festival we went to the uh-huh brutal place yeah. and it felt like we were just in an old woman's living room and it felt yeah. really cozy that's how I kind of feel about certain parts of old time music hall it feels like I'm someone's house yeah, who you're has in a Bill's theater. house yeah you got Bill's you're in Bill's house and he might have lost his mind in the <laughs> 70s it feels like we've talked about the difference between an AMC and a Lemley theater yeah. like if a Lemley theater feels more homemade like this was he just stitched this this morning yeah this whole theater he just stitched but it, you can feel his influence mm-hmm. their influence on all of this and yeah. it, it's a really fun place there's 
a lot of color in there. There's a lot of warm reds. Mm-hmm. The grand piano on stage is a Bosendorfer, <laughs> which is also the name of another airplane from World War II. <laughs> it was made in Vienna specifically for them in right. 1974. Really? But the main event here is what's behind the curtain. The first time, because I, I, you walk in, you're like, this is really neat. What a beautiful theater. And yeah. then the curtain opens. And yes. It's- the curtain opening is like when I was reading people's stories of, of this place, like, that's like an awakening yeah. for people when yeah. that curtain first opens your first time there. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's insane. Let's talk a little bit about this, what you see behind the curtain. Okay. It's indescribable. <laughs> this Cthulhu-like <laughs> instrument. Yeah. The beauty. Yeah, I, can't, I can't even describe I it. Can't. I won't so, even try. So lost in wonderment. <laughs> the console for the Wurlitzer is on stage, but once the lights go down, you start to hear this deep whirring sound. Yeah. That's the noise of a 10-horsepower Spencer Turbine Orgo Blow. <laughs> That was my wrestler name. <laughs> that was your finishing move. Your wrestling name was Spencer Turbine, and your finishing move was the Orgo Blow. <laughs> so 10 horsepower worth of air is yeah. pushing. That's what you're hearing. It's pushing air into what you see when the curtains parts, the massive Wurlitzer apparatus that the double bill built. To start, it takes up the entire backstage, mm-hmm. and it stretches to the ceiling. It's about 16 feet wide, 36 feet tall. There's 2,600 pipes that can play 268 instruments, including including a xylophone, marimba, drums, and cymbals. There's sound effects makers on it that can do horses galloping, machine guns firing, ocean waves, pans crashing to the floor, rain falling, a gong. Then for no reason at all, there's things like dolls sitting on a spinning wheel. Mm -hmm. And most of it's painted in 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 dayglow. So you can see it. Because the back of it, behind it, it's pitch black. Yeah, they want you to see this. Like they're so proud of this and it's so much fun to watch. And it's something to be proud of. Not only do they want you to be proud of it, it works. It's a masterpiece of so many different things. Yeah. And this is all controlled yeah. on stage by the original organ with four keyboards that have 244 keys, Oof. 260 switches, and a lot of foot pedals. Bill Kaufman described it as a 1925 computer. Like if you sat down on this, it would probably explode because <laughs> there's so many, the floor is just pedals. Yeah. So I don't even know where you would put your foot without ruining whatever other crazy uh-huh. thing you were trying to do. <laughs> Supposedly, this has become the biggest Wurlitzer setup ever built but i can't confirm that the one in arizona that we saw at uh, oregon stop pizza that was pretty big but i guess maybe that was like broken up yeah it's not like a one big piece yeah this is one big piece yeah (laughs) one big slice of pizza (laughs) like we said it's a spectacle when that curtain's open so this is how shows there would and for the most part still do when they were open how they work after everyone was seated one of the bills would go on stage and play the piano for a while and then switch over to the organ for the traditional sing-along and then often a short that they would play the organ along to also and then there would be a little break and then the other bill would come out and play the organ along with the entire movie if it were a silent movie yeah. realize that they weren't using sheet music because there's little to no sheet music left for these movies if there ever even was yeah. so they're just making it all up really? as they go and watching the movie and matching the mood of what they're playing to whatever was on screen so they were making up everything they're bebopping they were finger scatting <laughs> finger scatting all over the place which almost as mind blowing as the apparatus is that they are improvising everything that they're playing. So while one of them was playing, the other one would be running the projector and selling concessions like the homemade macaroons that I always want to try, even though I hate macaroons. (laughs) But they look so good. But I know I'm not going to like it. If you get switched over to loving macaroons, it would probably be those. It's going to happen there. And that's the promise of the (laughs) El Segundo Old Town Music Hall. And they'd switch 
watch off who did what each yeah. night. So one, yeah, they'd always be showing classic old movies, mostly silence, but they'd also do a lot of live concerts from outside musicians who a lot of people want to play that world. Yeah. Seems, so they'd come to play it. They've done a Laurel and Hardy Fest every year, and they also host the longest running ragtime festival in the world. Bill Field even used to own the re- a restaurant next door as well, okay. which would have been fun. It's a really, I can only imagine the spoons like squirt water at you. <laughs> it's a really great place. As Bill Kaufman put it, we tried to create an escape from the bombardment of modern day electronic trauma. Electronic trauma is a yeah. pretty good band name. That's my wrestling name. <laughs> my finishing blow is the uh, electroshock treatment to the uh, uh, temples. I, I don't have any... You really lost that one. Yeah. yeah. It, really it, through it was lost before it started. <laughs> Things went on like this for decades until sadly one of the two bills was lost. In December 2001, Bill Kaufman died at the age of 75, taking a nap in the theater. Really? Like he was apparently waiting for the other bill and he came in and he was dead in one of the seats, which is... Devastating? Devastating, scary. I, I was thinking like, what if I came to record with Greg one day and he was just dead? Dead. And then I would have to... I would have CPR to... CPR just to get the episode because yeah. nothing's going to stop us from doing an episode. I mean, yeah. How, how, sure, it would be a little more tricky to edit, but that's absolutely terrible. Yeah. He had had cardiac and pulmonary disease, so it was natural causes. So na- That was the saddest part about watching that clip show that we saw was yeah. like, you see both bills and then at a certain point, there's, there's only, only one, one bill, bill and you're like, ooh, boy. And uh, like, who else shares this crazy passion? Yeah. So yeah. now it was up to Bill Field alone to keep this thing going, and he did. Now, instead of being able to switch off who plays what, Bill Field had to do everything. He got more help as the years went along, but for the most part, he was playing the pre-show, sing-along, and main attraction four times a weekend, 49 weekends a year, every year. The only weekends they were closed were for Christmas, 4th of July, and the Super Bowl. Every other weekend, they would do four shows, and he would play everything, all the while making it up as he went for different movies. He wasn't in the best of health either. He had had several strokes, prostate cancer. He had a few falls that messed up his knees, so he'd been in a scooter for a while, but he never let any of that stop him. He said, I live in my own world and my own little island here. What else would I do? I enjoy it. It's my life. And it was great. He did such a great thing. And I'm not trying to make fun of him, but when he would go up the aisle, he would slowly go up there and then he would slowly get into the chair and then suddenly start playing. It was like the Willy Wonka pretending to fall thing. Yeah, pretending to have a limp the whole time and then like somersaulting. You'd think like, oh my God, how is he's in a chair? It's so hard for him to get up there. And then he would just start playing Mm -hmm. the most incredible thing you've ever heard. Yeah, I remember a couple times watching him just like kind of just fixated on him playing this giant thing and I expect him to like, turn around and stand up and wave and give like a like a bow yeah. and you're like oh yeah he came on the, yeah. on the scooter that's he right he has bad knees he's yeah, not, not, not going to do a bow out. he was the heart and soul of this place and he was beloved locally but sadly June 28th 2020 just a few months ago Bill Field died at the age of 80 he's buried at Green Hills Memorial Park in Palos Verdes so 2020 has been a catastrophic year yeah. for them they had to close and then they lost the guy keeping it going so yeah. they've done a few virtual shows but other than that they've been completely shut down since March because of the virus and then on top of that the man who was responsible for keeping it going died yeah so where do they go from here there's a few people who worked for Bill that have stepped up to run things not least of all Edward Torres Mm -hmm. he's the guy we always see who's uh he was Bill Field's Padawan if you will I think he's like 25 years old right now but he's been playing the piano since he was seven Bill taught him the ways of the Wurlitzer so he'll be taking over that if Mm -hmm. he's able to but even so it's been an uphill battle since they first opened in the 60s to get young people interested in this place and now because of the virus money is a huge yeah. issue they've got about five thousand dollars a month in expenses to cover they have a save old town music hall go fund me with a goal of thirty eight thousand. and the last time i checked they had gotten just under twenty 
4,000. Yeah. So please donate to that yes. if you can, because there's nothing else like this in LA, no. maybe even the country and maybe even the world. So it would really be a shame to see this place go. They've been a 501c3 nonprofit since 1990. Mm-hmm. They were named a living museum for silent films, classic talkies, and old time music by the California Assembly in 1995. There were only about 7,000 mighty Wurlitzers ever built. And today there seems to only be about 326 left in the world and only 281 in the United States, but only about 100 active players, yeah. people who people who can play it. Yeah, yeah, who can actually do that. So give what you can to keep this place going so that it won't get turned into an extension of rock and roll sushi or whatever's <laughs> around the corner. And I can try a macaroon one day that I'm probably not going to like. You're probably not going to like it, but you'll try it though. And that's saying a lot. Yeah. And then I'll probably ask for my money back. Yeah. <laughs> ask for my dollar back, which is sitting right there in a tip I jar. I see it. Look, you're a 501c3. That's not about profits. <laughs> this is bigger than that. <laughs> my distaste of macaroons goes over your yeah. tax exempt status. <laughs> yeah. That's really one of those places that there's there's nothing like it. We can talk about other places like, oh, we love that restaurant, yeah. but like there are I can get Italian similar food ones. anywhere. Like I'm not putting down old time alley restaurants. It has history. I am. <laughs> I can get a steak at any old place but this place is truly truly irreplaceable nothing like it will ever replace it I, if it I, goes i know that the el capitan has a wurlitzer uh, but it's nothing nothing like no. the one at the old town music hall yeah i feel like the places we've seen wurlitzers have been like big grand theaters yeah they still feel really impersonal this place is this, incredibly like, like backyard comedy show personal it's like someone's private screening room like yeah i can see this theater fitting into tom cruise's house <laughs> it's so the seats are really uncomfortable but the <laughs> if we're gonna say one thing about advice well let's say bring a pad to sit on because those yeah. seats are unforgiving me and melissa went to see um plan nine from outer space there and it was such a, like the sing-along beforehand like everyone's laughing and like why are we doing this but yeah. we're it's fun yeah. and then you know there was probably like 60 people in there and it was just like everyone laughing with each other at the movie yeah in this tiny little room like yeah. it felt like you were just watching with your friends and it yeah. was a lot of fun yeah. if I had friends <laughs> <laughs> if I've ever remember what it's like to have friends I don't anyway. yeah. if I ever remember what it's like to watch a movie with anyone other than my wife uh, <laughs> you watch Borat together? do you have a favorite line from Borat? so I'm going into my next one okay. right now right? take a inhalation and start Okay, this is... Let me get into my second character of the day. (laughs) This one's a little more refined. His ponytail's a little to the left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's speaking with a southern drawl now. Yeah. Yep, I am. Well, here he is. (laughs) Time to talk about the Pacific Dining Car. (laughs) My new best impression is the guy who runs the toy store in Home Alone 2. Okay. Turtle doves. Oh, <laughs> turtle doves. You really took the quarantine to perfect your skills. <laughs> I pick one character from every movie and I just get it. I just nail him. I hope that guy's on Twitter. I'm going to drag him. I'm going to bury him. I'm going to make a TikTok of him. He's going to feel so <laughs> stupid for giving that little boy the gift of love. Okay, so the Pacific Dining Car. That's our it. next one. Because sometimes you need a piece of beef the size of a softball at four in the morning. The Pacific Dining Car. This is one that's not only on, but also has a chopping block. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that people can hear me roll my eyes. You didn't just I roll your it. eyes. <laughs> but I hope that you heard an audible like... You gave like a head shake of a dad whose son was running for president and just heard him like put down immigrants <laughs> on live TV. Just, like that's the head shake you just gave me. Oh, uh, go ahead. Losing this would be like losing one of the, the rib bones of... <laughs> 
of LA and not in the Michael Jackson sense. Uh, you mean Marilyn Manson sense? I've heard it about many people. <laughs> Would it surprise you from either? When Michael Jackson died and when Marilyn Manson dies, I'm gonna like, can we make the autopsy public? <laughs> There's a couple things I need to just need to clear up. We have a limited window on this <laughs> and it'll drive us crazy for the <laughs> for thousands of years. Also, when Richard Gears dies, <laughs> I'd like can, to get a look in there. If we can take a look at x-rays, that'd be really great. If we There's find a bunch of hamster skeletons in the stomach, we'll know what's going on. <laughs> and also, uh, what was in George Michael's stomach? <laughs> it all began in the 19-teens in East Coast, USA. I'm not talking about George Michael anymore. Okay. An opera singer named Fred Cook realized that he wasn't actually an opera singer because he couldn't sing. This uh, feels like a long-winded pun it's because not- his name is Fred Cook. I feel like this is all just like a limerick you're Look, making. I've been like, oh, the real story is... <laughs> you can't write this. <laughs> yeah, the real story is... His name is Fred Beefcut. <laughs> so he knew it was time to quit, but he needed a new venture in life when one day it hit him like a freight train. What if I serve food to people inside of a freight train? He kept having <laughs> dreams about freight trains. What I'm trying to get at is he it was a disturbed man. The things he saw in uh, the Crimean War, I don't know. <laughs> they had eaten at a restaurant back east that was modeled to look like a train car, and he decided, I want to live up to my name yeah. and Fred Cook and do that too. And Fred Cook, he did. He but- met his best friend, Fred Freight Train, and they're like, we got to yeah. put our ideas we together. Get together. Do you know anyone named Fred Fry Cook <laughs> and Fred Dishwasher? His middle name is Fry. And it's just a relative of his. Go ahead. <laughs> Little did they know they were related. <laughs> that they were cousins the whole time. Oh, we need Fred Server. We need Fred <laughs> Major D. So he wanted to do the train, the whole train car thing, this time in California. Okay. So in 1921, he and his wife, Grace, a.k.a. Lovely, oh. moved to L.A. and had a custom railroad dining car built and set it up in their friend's backyard at 7th and Westlake. That's it wasn't of, a running one. It, it wasn't like the... Supposedly it was functional, but why would you... If you're building this for a restaurant, why would you make it functional? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it should just be lifelike, but not... That's weird we, because we I just have, went to Carney's right now, which was a Pacific <laughs> Electric train. It wasn't Pacific Electric. It was just a red... Well, it, was, it wasn't even a red car. Why keep saying red car? It was a train. <laughs> it was from the Lunchtime Express, I think. <laughs> they made it bigger than an actual dining car, so it wasn't as cramped, but like I said, supposedly... It would, but yeah, why would they... Like, oh, we can't have a freezer because we got to have a realistic engine room. <laughs> in these early days, they weren't a fine dining place, though, which was surprising to me. It yeah. was kind of like a greasy spoon diner, and they were most well known for their pies. Okay. That was kind of their thing. Then in 1923, that original plot of land they were on was sold, so they had to relocate to 6th and Wilmer at 1310 West 6th Street, where they still are today. I bet it was pretty easy to move. That's what I was thinking. Just, <laughs> hey, lay some track. We need, we need Fred Track Layer to help us move. That front dining room is that original building that they had. Oh, built. okay. So that's the one that they wouldn't let us sit in for some reason. Yeah. Because we're not the mayor. <laughs> we have no influence. We're not Blackjack, <laughs> as the waiter kept referring to Jack Black as. That's right. But at a certain point, they became known for something much more than just Lovely's famous pies. A one day, a... Uh, what, uh, one day. Uh, one, <laughs> two. <laughs> Tuesday, Monday, <laughs> uh, Jesus, uh, one, two apostles. <laughs> one day or somewhere around 1927, a rancher from San Diego came to town who knew everything there was to know about beef. And Fred latched onto this guy and learned how to pick, age, and dry beef. So now the new specialty of the Pacific dining car became their beef, which Fred went through painstaking efforts to make sure they had only the finest and became what might have been the first restaurant in LA to serve dry aged beef, uh, which they would do in-house. They would age all of their stuff Mm in-house. And word got out about how good the beef was and people started coming into his restaurant asking the age-old question, 
Where's the beef? I was going to ask that earlier, try to squeeze that in, but I knew that you must have put it in there. I was thinking of, I could say something about where's the beef right here. I think I wrote something about where's the beef. (laughs) I don't want to step on my own punchlines. That's what was going through my head. as I I feel like you wrote that and then wrote around it. All the research is based around that ability to just say, where's the beef without it sticking out? Blank lines, like a message written in invisible ink, (laughs) and it's like one third down the page, and I just fill in the words around it. It wouldn't be funnier if we say it one fourth into this. It eventually got to the point where other restaurants in town would buy all the best cuts of beef from the markets before he could. So he decided to start getting his beef sent directly to his restaurant from the suppliers to cut off these. Who's trying to do this? Yeah, Uh, Carney. A uh, a Carney or a Cole? Yeah, Philippe, what are you trying to you stealing my beef? You're just gonna dunk it in juice. No, the the Iron Maiden is back. It's VE Day. It's BE Day. <laughs> As they got more established, they put in their first bar in 1933, complete with three stools. And in the late 30s, they added some of the other rooms that are there now. So they built, built upon it, much yeah. like a train car. <laughs> and this was during the Depression, and they knew how lucky they were then to be doing well in such a time. So whenever people would come in asking if they could do some work for them, exchange for a meal, which apparently happened quite often, yeah. they would tell them, just come back at nine in, at night when the staff was eating and they just give them a free meal no wow. strings attached which is pretty nice which yeah. I, I wish that was still going on and all leftovers they had around that time during the depression they donated to a mission to give to homeless okay. and people who just needed food which was most people so now the cooks also had a daughter named Virginia who married another man who had the last name Fred probably wished he had when he was wanting to be a singing star uh-huh. Wes Idol <laughs> Wes Idol was an electrical contractor but one time the cooks needed help in the kitchen so they asked Wes to help out and he liked it so much that he just stayed. Wow. Until 1935, he decided he wanted to open his own spin-off restaurant, Cook's Steakhouse. Then World War, the second one hit. Like it still yeah, never so ended. Not. It hit and it never went away. Yeah. <laughs> the hits just keep on coming. <laughs> and Wes joined the army and of course he worked in the kitchen. During this time back home, during the, the early days of World War II, the first decade of World War II, <laughs> Pacific Dining Car actually had to switch their focus to chicken oh, wow. instead of beef because Why? of the rationing. Oh. Why? What do you think? Was- They're turning beef into bullets? Ah. Uh, ah, our old joke that you abandoned. It's been a long quarantine. Mm, okay, you forgot how to be a host. It's fine. No, we forget sometimes. Well, I'm sorry. I'm all about gun control now. So <laughs> did we forget that running joke that I'm all about gun control? Yeah, that upsets me that I let that pass me by much like a bullet whizzing by my ear <laughs> so shortly after the war in 1947 fred died because they turned him into bullets and, <laughs> oh i did write that down so i didn't forget how to be a host of the podcast i fooled you <laughs> i made it offensive this time i mocked a man's memory so fred died and lovely took over the restaurant she oh, wow. kept things running pretty much the same except she added a barbecue a barbecue stand yeah. outside where you could just walk up and order some meat and sandwiches to go which i think is a, a good idea especially now. now a yeah. great idea but in 1960 lovely was as aged as her beloved dry beef and she sold the place to Wes and Virginia who immediately proceeded to revamp everything. Okay. They got rid of the barbecue stand, they redid the interior and at last put in air conditioning. Swell. In 1964 their son Wes Jr. went on a wine tour of Europe and brought back with him a huge collection of fine wines that became the foundation of a wine selection that had the reputation of being one of the best in the city Really? at this rest- at Pacific Dining Car. Yeah. Then in 19... 19- What's this restaurant called again? <laughs> then in 1974 was this Denny's something Denny's, um, Subway Denny's or Train Car Denny's <laughs> then in 1975 that's the name of my finishing move the Train Car Denny I just give you diarrhea then in 1975 try fighting me with 
diarrhea. You can't knock me out cold if you have diarrhea. <laughs> then in 1975, Wes the first died, and Wes Jr. bought the place from his mom and mm-hmm. decided to- I'm gonna completely revamp it for the fourth time. <laughs> Pretty much. Jeez. He said, I'm gonna take it in a whole new direction. So up until this point, it was a nice restaurant, but it wasn't it nice <laughs> other restaurants passed by and went nice, nice. <laughs> go ahead sorry i cut but you off it, was, stupid. it wasn't a prestigious sort of place it had counter seating there was mm-hmm. an open grill so west jr's vision was to turn it into fine dining yeah. fine, fine. <laughs> other restaurants passed by fine. fine it used to be fine dining and now it's fine dining <laughs> this is when it became the place i would say it is today but i guess the place it was 10 months ago yeah. with the dark lighting white tablecloths and the red leather booths mm-hmm. Uh, now it looked the part of what it always had been which was a classy but unpretentious little oasis of elegance in a kindly ugly kind of ugly stretch of town kindly and ugly a, hom- and ugly. a homely stretch a, of downtown a police Los station Angeles. with homeless people sleeping on the lawn a, a hospital that's next door to a whole food <laughs> and that's why it drew in so many celebrities and powerful people for decades your mickey cohen your bugsy mm-hmm. siegel your bob hope your george harrison which i thought he was vegetarian your entire courtroom of the oj trial every single person who's ever worked in city hall everyone would go there it yeah. was a discreet and dark place where you wanted to go when you didn't want to be noticed and a big part of that was the staff who worked there who worked with the discretion of the butlers and the eyes wide shut mansion <laughs> like even when that guy was giving us a tour of the place yeah he wasn't like gossiping like he said like blackjack is so nice yeah blackjack is very nice but you know he wouldn't say like oh, orlando bloom yeah yeah, yeah yeah he was kind of reading off of a fact sheet he wasn't dishing or anything well yeah that's in the kitchen <laughs> that's where fred dishwasher works <laughs> and when they say fine but unpretentious yeah. it really was the, yeah like i was kind of afraid when we went there because mm. i was like oh i don't own a cummerbund yeah i don't <laughs> i don't know what fork to pick up for salad yeah but it really it's just a restaurant yeah. that's really nice mm-hmm. and they didn't look down on you which again i was yeah. sure they were going to you came in your basketball jersey my socks with sandals yeah. <laughs> i need protein <laughs> it was one of those places where the waiters have all worked there for like a hundred yeah. years they weren't actors who needed a day job until they got cast on the bachelor mm-hmm. I, I almost read that until they got cast on becker <laughs> These were professional waiters. The bartender who helped us, Rafael Covarrubias, mm-hmm. he's 89 years old right now, and he'd been there for 36 years Damn. working as the bartender there. He's a legend in that place, and he also doesn't drink. <laughs> Which he, is how he became a legend. He came here from Guadalajara and had been working in one way or another since he was 13 to support his 12 siblings. And I'm telling you all this because I want to get to this one quote he had about his dad mm-hmm. having 12 kids. My father, excuse my English, he was a horny person. <laughs> Yeah, my favorite. Hate doing it. I gotta have twelve kids. I'm just reading off his tombstone. (laughs) So the restaurant's been in a ton of movies, including Training Day. Mm -hmm. James Elroy has it in many of his books, and he even got married there in 1991. And all this while you sit under a painting of a dog in Victorian clothing. (laughs) James Elroy has a documentary, like Dog of Death or something. But he has a conversation about Block Dahlia with the LAPD. I think the Homicide Division when they're at. Yeah, uh, uh, he shoehorns it in, like me with a Where's the Beef joke. He shoehorns shoehorns it in. You start with the reference. (laughs) (laughs) You start at the place and then you go from there. Work the crime forward and backward (laughs) from the restaurant they eat at while they're trying to figure it out. Uh, In October 1990, the Santa Monica location opened at 2700 Wilshire. And in 1994, Wes Jr.'s son, Wes 3, not Wesley, Wes 3, was now in charge. And his big contribution was making both locations open 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Before this, they were only open 6 a.m. to 2 a.m. They also started offering a late night menu after 11 p.m. PM that was much cheaper because make no mistake 
it's expensive. Yeah. But another way to save is if you had signed up for the 1921 club, which we did, where they give you a free steak for your birthday. Mm-hmm. You just have to pay for your sides and for your decision to make your friends come with you and have to pay <laughs> for a price because it's not their birthday. I would every you should only be friends with people who have the same birthday as you. Yeah, I agree with that. I've met two people with my birthday. Wayne was one of them. Mm-hmm. Another guy I worked for had my birthday, and I shouldn't be around either one of them. <laughs> it's probably best for, for the best. Yeah. I feel like if you have a same number day, all the people on the ninth. But then you together. don't get the free stuff. No, on, they all get yeah, that. What I'm trying to say, not birthday, but like birth number day. Like the see, you're talking about some sort of mystical thing. I'm saying <laughs> we can all go to Jersey Mike's on the same day and um, get our free sandwiches. What about like astrological signs? We all get the same. How often do Libras get free <laughs> Jersey Mike's? We're all Libras, and we won't be paying for this dinner. <laughs> it's in the stars. <laughs> free Dippin' Dots for all Libras, and so that brings us to the year of destruction, 2020. This past June, the Santa Monica location closed permanently, permanently, due to the coronavirus. After auctioning off all of their belongings, which was worrisome when this past September, the original location then said, we're auctioning off Mm -hmm. all of our belongings down to the napkins. They were auctioning the two cows out front sold for $7,250 and a crate of their relish and jam sold for $535. And Rafael Covarrubias himself, I got him for $200. (laughs) Him and I don't drink together. Yeah. We talk about horny dads. <laughs> I was going to bid on a crate of wine stoppers. Uh-huh. What am I going to do with 70 wine stoppers? From- I can tell you right now, <laughs> buy 70 bottles of wine. Start, start drinking. drinking. <laughs> Get nice and fat. We all assumed the worst when this was going on, but Wes Third assures us that this is not the end, though. He said everything they sold needed to be replaced anyway, and okay. he wants to completely redecorate with the money they made, but I don't know if I buy it. Like, oh, yeah. oh I-, I hated that backpack of mine you threw on the roof anyway. I was yeah. going to get a new one luckily the family owns the building so that's why they aren't closed down completely okay because they don't have to pay rent or exactly yeah. but west insists that this is a new beginning and not an end for now they're pivoting to online sales so you can order their signature baseball steaks to be sent to your home and they want to maybe start selling pre-made things in markets like clam jumper does yeah and stuff like that but Here's Big Pearl Bertha. Harbor. <laughs> Pearl Harbor again. <laughs> but if you'd like to be able to sit in this place again someday, you better start ordering a lot of fingerling potatoes from them online right now. I, I'm glad I waited for the largest airplane, the yeah. jumbo jet to fly over. It's a really odd thing. We've only, we've drank there one time. We've eaten there once. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine eating their food. I'm anywhere but there. Like yeah. the location is half the experience. Like I've been eating a lot of Philippe's at home and it's just like I, I love the French dips but like at the same time I really want to be at Philippe's. I, I've been saying this the whole time about getting takeout. It's just not the same. Yeah. But if you ever want to have that experience again you've got to order a lot you of steaks. Gotta, you got to order <laughs> you a steak. Cancel your subscription to Trump Steaks. <laughs> These are better. Ah, I can't see how that's possible. <laughs> I just can't see. Okay so look right now we have a word a word from our sponsor which is us but we have a ad to do right now so uh, we'll be back in a few minutes and listen to this ad from our new sponsor which is a great company we'll be right back hey greg yes daniel my friend and co-host of la meekly the podcast how can i help you uh just a quick question would you like to save the world over your morning coffee that's the only thing i've ever wanted well how do you feel about ending child hunger with your morning coffee that's the only thing i've ever wanted if there's one thing i know about you that's the only thing you've ever wanted i want to sip coffee and have all the world's problems go away just by the power of me sipping coffee slowly well let me introduce you to free lunch coffee and they are on a mission to end 
end hunger from the lives of young children. So if you're going to be drinking coffee, this is the coffee that you should be drinking. You drink coffee with a cause. Oh my God. Coffee with a cause. I couldn't have put it better myself. And I did it. Okay, that's not part of this. <laughs> they they told bar. me specifically not to, for you to say anything like that. But So let me tell you a little bit more about this free lunch Please coffee. Do. That is the company Free Lunch Coffee. When you buy one bag of free lunch coffee, you are providing 10 meals to children in need. And free lunch coffee, on top of that, gives away 50% of the money they make to end hunger in the lives of young children. That's spectacular. That's great. That. Me personally, I'm yep. sick of drinking coffee that's just going to some guy who lives in Seattle. All yeah, the money. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Who learns Starbucks? I, I was going to say Jeff Bezos. Seattle. Yeah, Jeff Bezos. It just goes probably, to I feel like every time we drink Starbucks, Jeff Bezos gets like 20 cents of a dollar. But this is the anti-Bezos. I've recently discovered the pleasure of making coffee from home and not buying it and how much money that saves me over the last, let's say, year. 2020. <laughs> let's, say, let's say nine months. Let's say nine months of me but on, making coffee. On top of saving you money, you are also giving back by just by drinking coffee. Yeah. They also, if you're not, in, if you don't drink coffee, they also on their website have these great mugs and tumblers. Mm-hmm. And each mug that you buy provides 10 meals, and each tumbler provides 20 meals to children in need. But if you don't drink coffee, I don't know what you're putting in there. You yeah, can you put can... your savings right in there. Beyond this being just a good cause, Free mm-hmm. Lunch Coffee has great coffee that is specialty grade, certified organic, and fair trade. If you don't like this coffee, you can send it back. It's loose, <laughs> loose in an envelope. They offer like, a... like I do at donut shops. I don't like this. Yeah. And then you throw it back at them. This is kind of like that, but it's less of a mess. And it's over the internet. It's safer. They offer offer a hundred percent money back guarantee for 30 days if oh, you wow. don't absolutely love their coffee they will give you a full refund and you can keep the coffee too i guess you don't have to send it back loose in an envelope but you know what i will but i, I won't have to because it's great coffee if this is something you want to try which you should because if you drink coffee which i know a lot of our listeners mm-hmm. do because they're all just exhausted from listening to us all the time yeah. because we're exhausting free lunch coffee is offering a 10 percent discount to all of the loyal listeners from this podcast so use coupon code los angeles at checkout and you'll get 10% off. That is freelunchcoffee.com, freelunchcoffee.com, freelunchcoffee.com. I think this is good. Yeah, it's great. Last year was horrible. Let's get this year started off right by helping other people by something you're going to be buying anyway. You will help people out that really need it. And this is the perfect year to start being better and stop giving our money to Jeff Bezos coffee. He doesn't even know how to make it. He doesn't even know what a frappe is. (laughs) So again, that's freelunchcoffee.com. Use promo code Los Angeles and get 10% off and you'll be helping out a lot of people in the world, a lot of children, and be having great coffee in the process. Freelunchcoffee.com. What's that name again? Freelunchcoffee.com. Sign me up. Serve me some right now. I was going to say something really clever and it completely evaporated from my head. Saving the world one cup at a time. Coffee with a cause. I wrote that. my turn to talk now uh, and we're back i say that before you say it, so it's oh, my turn to talk now shoot and now it's your turn to talk now okay and we're back yeah. we we're just making fun of ourselves doing a commercial this whole time we listen how much to hot it. coffee could drink uh, as fast as possible St- chug, chug, chug 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 my lips are on fire right now <laughs> chug chug blood 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 <laughs> yeah let's have yours this is a big boy this is a big boy my segment's been called the magic circle and i'm here today to talk about the bob baker marionette theater Ugh. currently at 4949 york boulevard los angeles literally right next door to more york oh really they're yeah. right next door to it huh. yeah. the bob baker marionette theater is the oldest and longest 
longest continually running puppet theater in the United States, which hmm. I did not know. Bob Baker, master puppeteer man, also helped unionize puppeteers and created the Academy of Puppetry where they could preserve their art. He's established the city's first puppet manufacturing operation in his teens that sold marionettes around the world. In his teens he in did this? Teens. These well, people who do these crazy theaters uh, were like child prodigies. Yeah. The Except theater, for Fred Cook, he couldn't sing. The theater is home to 3,000 puppets. Hang a few on. of his favorites being... Now that the bombing of Dresden is happening. <laughs> Where's Kurt is he okay? Look at Slaughterhouses 1 through 4, and then 6 through 10. We'll close in on 5. <laughs> I don't, I don't, there's not a good chance there. The theater is home to Which, three, by the way, go see the mural on the side of Slaughterhouse 5. It's beautiful in Vernon. The theater is home to 3,000 puppets, a few of his favorite being Bobo, Coco, Shezro, <laughs> Dodo Bird, Fifi, Colette, and Happy the Birthday Dog, who is still making his rounds after six years. I would love to hear the like Time Magazine interview where he's listing, well, my favorites are yeah. Bobo, Fifi. Don't tell the other ones, but... Yeah. <laughs> Can we go into another room? I really like Shezbro. Bob Baker said about his puppets, when you build them, you they kind of come. fall in love with each puppet. People don't realize that a puppeteer goes from a drawing, then sculpts the head, makes all the molds and bodies, and sometimes even makes the costumes. When you string it and starts to move, you bring it to life as an artist. This is just a quote from Pinocchio. Oh no, it's <laughs> Geppetto. Geppetto said that, this is a story of a wonderful little theater and Bob Baker, the man who always knew what he wanted to do. Bob Baker was born in Los Angeles, specifically Koreatown on New Hampshire. Avenue in February of 1924. His parents were doting and pushed for him to excel in arts. He was signed up for dance, piano, and acting lessons at an early age. But his moment comes in 1930 when at the age of six, his father took him to let me guess. The Barker Brothers Department Are you store. kidding me? Nope. What? The Barker Brothers Department Store in downtown LA, still in that beautiful beige and brown brick building on 7th and Fig. What? And he was introduced to the world of puppet shows. <laughs> Inspiration to Children Day? At it sounds like week. Barker Brothers Department Store was where like magic happened. Like yeah. magicians were introduced to magic and were That's like, exa- I gotta show the world. <laughs> what year was uh, Bill Fields going there? Because this was, was in the 30s. He was born I think in the he 30s. Was, let me see. Because Bob did... Baker was like six at the time. Bill Fields was born in 1930. So he was going in like a the little 40s. Bit after. Yeah. Okay, that's insane. Yeah, I guess they they switched from puppets to mighty Wurlitzers. <laughs> no one's liking this puppet stuff. They're creeping all the kids out. <laughs> Let's get something the whole family can enjoy. <laughs> a wacky organ. Are you at church or a baseball game? You might want to buy a Miley Wurlitzer. <laughs> so that day they saw this Christmas celebration show Jack Sprout, and Bob was electric. That's His, so crazy. It is crazy. When you said it, I, I didn't want to be like, I want to be too. <laughs> my story too. Oh my His God. dad saw how much Bob was loving it, and the two stayed for all six shows until the store closed after that it was all about everything bob baker was about was about puppets he would not <laughs> stop talking about puppets he was seven years old and puppets were his life now he saved up money to buy two soldier puppets at bullock's wilshire and there he saw a woman named henry gordon probably short for henrietta i'm gonna go ahead and jump on that puppets, henrietta gordietta demonstrating puppets and bob baker's mom asked how on earth does he learn how to work these things how do i get my kid to shut up about it <laughs> henry gordon offered to give send bob- him to nightclubs to do puppet shows <laughs> he'll learn to hate it real quick <laughs> uh, make him puppeteer a whole pack of puppets and he'll get over that henry gordon offered to give bob baker personal lessons and the next day she was already teaching him like she showed up and was like okay let's do this uh, he practiced every day an hour or two but every day the next year he had gotten enough puppets and was already getting crafty enough that he was starting to construct his own and he was ready to put on his own puppet variety show in a backyard what? in a small theater named the petite theater behind the family's garage <laughs> for who just for like his family or for... i think for the family and then maybe like friends and uh-huh. stuff like that so bob baker is now performing little shows for smaller kids or even kids his own age and in 1932 at the age of eight and during the great depression bob baker found himself performing at the beverly hills hotel one saturday and his audience for the performance was the rockefeller family 
oh my god who watched the this show from- reason for the depression <laughs> this is the epicenter of the depression i might be working here at the beverly hills hotel you're staying here <laughs> the haves the are here <laughs> and that's the wage gap can you tell the have nots to put on another <laughs> puppet show for me so the rockefellers watched his show from floor seats meaning- i thought you were gonna say he had to eat the puppets during the depression i mean the rockefellers can make anybody do any- whatever they yeah. wanted for money <laughs> which one do you love the most kill him eat jimbo the puppet in front of me john d rockefeller <laughs> so they watched the show bob baker's show from the floor seats meaning an eight-year-old bob baker performed for the depression era rockefellers while they sat on the floor only a few feet away no stage for this one and it was like it's like an open mic at a coffee shop <laughs> i don't know why i wrote that because you had to perform on the same ground as everyone's yeah. watching you and it's uh, a level playing the worst field. idea just no distinction between you sitting in the audience and then getting up and standing in front of the yeah audience. yeah it looks like i'm going to the bathroom and i stopped and got yeah. lost in the microphone and yeah. i'm just saying the i just want to say a few things <laughs> yeah so this is a huge show for bob for many reasons one he's working during the depression there are literally six other employed men in the country he's one of them <laughs> the rockefellers are here and even though they sound like they would be they are not flintstone characters and most importantly <laughs> his otherworldly deep moment happens here after the performance the kids came up to hug the puppets that was it the rockefeller children i guess so yeah notoriously stupid easily fooled but that's how they up, lost their fortune <laughs> they hugged the puppets this fun little dream hobby of his was now officially so much bigger than him so that's like the point where where you hear like kermit the frog was on the tonight show and everyone's talking to kermit, kermit. the frog rather than jim henson who's under the who's chair under, <laughs> who's hiding behind a chair this his, is his moment it's yeah, like oh people it's actually, believe this. this is actually like this dream yeah. between not only for me performing it but people watching it uh-huh. it's like this connection we're having and he's in with the rock fellers and they're having money troubles get out of here oh, as, close. as jesus would say forget about it <laughs> he said it was one of those moments that made him want to devote his life to creating this magic for kids another important lesson he learned in those moments was never again would he use a stage to separate the puppets from the audience and the magic circle was born so in 1934 bob takes a huge risk for an opportunity to work and lies about his age when he applies for the national youth authority for a job at the federal theater he said he was 12 but it was 1934 and bob was still 10 the job was also reserved for people who did not have a lot of money that was a lie as well because bob had some money so they gave him a shot and one day a puppeteer gets sick and they get bob to fill in for him and they put him up on the bridge in the theater that's his account i don't know what that means i'm sure someone listening knows what a bridge is i was thinking they were like up on a bridge like, above them controlling the strings from the ceiling I, I assume i also assume but i didn't want to go ahead and say that but i assume that's what it is the show was snow white or mm. show white <laughs> the snow was show white and during the show he dropped the controls for snow white oh, and her no. legs went flying up in the air oh, and he was God. only only holding onto the foot bar while oh, the record God. kept playing oh my dear you look so beautiful the way to the castle we must go as she's dangling upside down and her dress is above her head and everyone's <laughs> he was panting. of course freaking out and kept saying like close the curtains <laughs> that happens and then now it's confession time and bob baker went to the head man and confess my family isn't that destitute yeah. and sorry I'm, I'm 10 my fingers can't control snow white <laughs> a 10 year old boy my family's not destitute. Yeah, what do you expect from me i'm 10 <laughs> oh no i, I thought you were 12 an adult a full adult with a gun and who could drive a car who's about to fight in world war ii <laughs> he said i'm not my family's not destitute i'm not 12 and the the head man said oh yeah we know <laughs> and bob baker continued and said i dropped the puppet and the head man said i know don't worry about it you have to drop your puppet once from a 12 foot bridge to become <laughs> a real puppeteer now you're a professional and that is as good as any diploma <laughs> or certificate or license is when the headband says you had to mess up to be in and now you're in well then i've got a phd <laughs> at that point he's still helping henry gordon demo the puppets at bullock's wilshire on the weekends and that's when he's offered by the store to do his own first professional show all on his own because the store would arrange for private puppet shows around town uh, he jumped at the opportunity and it, because it was bullock's wilshire the clientele was high society his first show was in bal air for the film director mervyn Leroy, who directed movies like little caesar the bad seed the gold diggers of 
1933 and No Time for Sergeants. Bob would then go on to perform in the homes of Jean Harlow, Shirley Temple, and Judy Garland. So by the end of that I decade- feel like one of those women is a little too old to have been having private puppet shows. I mean, Shirley Temple seemed like the right age. I feel like two of the women were a little too old. To Judy Garland was also a child actress. Oh, you're right. Jean Harlow was certainly not a child actress. Oh, you're, that's what you're saying. And the th- I forgot that Judy Garland was- one. At one point, she was, was a baby a actor. A baby, yeah. I forgot. <laughs> so by the end of that decade, Bob Baker was becoming a huge, talented, big deal. By 1939-1940, he was part of several local companies and snagged the top prize at the Orpheum Theater Talent Contest. <laughs> he was 16 by that point and attending Hollywood High, which when I kept reading all his accomplishments as a teenager, I'm like, oh yeah, he still had to go to school. <laughs> he had his puppets do his math homework. <laughs> Bob Baker, do you want to come up here and present? Yeah. Let me get my speaker. Let me get Swirly, the <laughs> flying potato. <laughs> but of course, such a talent is not just going to school and being a teen. He was already working with the WPA, the Works Progress Administration, doing puppetry and selling his own handcrafted marionettes <laughs> department stores at 16. What as a high school WPA? Student. We need to give Americans jobs. Puppets. Make, make puppets or paint murals. Which one do you want to do? <laughs> make puppets, not war. Oh no, we made war. <laughs> so it's clear that Bob Baker is one of those people who just knows what he wanted to do and force because he had the ability to pursue those things and he didn't swerve. He was still working as a gopher for the Federal Theater, running errands for them, but on his downtime, he would watch how puppets were built by professional puppeteers and he was learning a lot from this. And a year later, he was being hired to make puppets. And while attending high school, the Radio City Music Hall had him build puppets for the girls to work during the show. Whoa. In high school. The in high school, I didn't do anything for anyone and my life is awful because of it. Did they control them with their legs? The Rockettes? Oh my God. Radio so when they kicked the legs, the, yeah, the, the, puppets. the puppets. Or maybe they were puppets. <gasps> they were the puppets. Oh my God. So the, the puppets. <laughs> They're the puppets. They were the puppets. Anytime <laughs> I think about <laughs> Radio City <laughs> Music Hall or think of, the uh, Rockettes. Andy Daly. Don DeMello. Uh, Don DeMello. Yeah. Bring out the puppets. <laughs> puppets for daddies. The puppets. <laughs> the puppets are for daddies. It's not weird if they're puppets. <laughs> if I'm gawgawing over these puppet legs. I'm not a lecher. I'm a creep. <laughs> I'm not cheating on my wife with a rockette. Yeah. I'm cheating on my wife with a puppet of a rockette. So after Bob Baker... <laughs> what? The puppets. The puppets. Write that down. That's a sketch. Write that down. That's a new <laughs> intro. Write that down. Call Saturday Night Call Live. Call Saturday Night Live. After Bob Baker graduates from Hollywood High, he does what any honest young man in the early 40s would do, <laughs> enlist to kill Nazis. Bob Baker was put into the Army Air Corps and worked on the camouflage of Lockheed Aircraft in Burbank. Of course, that's the closest job to puppeteering yeah. I can think of in the military. Exactly, yeah. We painted a big face on uh, Lockheed. <laughs> that's not a airplane factory. That's a smiley face. <laughs> we can't drop bombs on smiley faces. Who would we be if we did that? So he does that for Lockheed in Burbank. But because of some medical ailment, he received a medical discharge. And at that point, he does what any young man in his 40s who couldn't be in the military would do and began working in animation. So he starts apprenticing for George Powell's studio, which was renowned for its work in stop motion techniques with puppets in Puppet 2 and The Great Rupert, which I did not watch. Uh, there's also an unfinished pilot of A War of the Worlds on YouTube, if anyone's hmm. interested, from George Powell's studio. It's pretty cool. With puppets. With puppets. Huh. Or there's humans, but there's like puppeteering and models and stuff like that. They Special seem effects. to be very lifeless, uh, no blood in their bodies. Human puppets, if I you I stabbed will. one and he didn't really do much. He kind of like swung around. Less than a year later, Bob Baker was lead animator for Powell's Puppetoons division, which was How old is he now? He's like 20, maybe? A little bit, almost 20, like late teens. Powell's Puppetoons division, which was contracted at time by Paramount Studios. By 1947 he had moved his talents onto television for KFI's Adventures of Bobo as well as serving as animation advisor on oh, many... Oh, are you going to watch The Book of Bobo? I can't wait. I cannot wait for yeah. Book of Bobo. Oh, that's what I wanted to say when you had caught up with The Mandalorian. Yeah. The Mandalorian's nickname is Mando, kind of like Mondo, yeah. your dad's name. And my brother's name. And his child's name is now Grogu, kind of like Grego, 
So you and your dad are the Mandalorian. <laughs> By name only. <laughs> I assure you. By name and quality of vehicle only. <laughs> Razor cuts gets blown up. My dad's truck got stolen. It's all in there. I think Grogu tested positive for midichlorians. They said M count in uh, yeah, I Mandalorian. I got up like, don't do not do this. You can bury that thing that, that George Lucas made. Not anymore. Uh, Adventures of Boba Fett. Adventures of Bobo. <laughs> as well as serving as an animation advisor on many big studio projects, including work for the quite famous and still living at the time, Walt Disney. We'll get to Disney in a bit, but first we have to talk about an even bigger collaborator for Bob Baker. In 1949, he would meet his partner in crime for years to come, Alton Wood. Alton Wood hailed from San Antonio, Texas, and was by all accounts a music man. He was interested in music from an early age and graduated from the University of Texas with a bachelor's degree in music. This takes him to study concert piano in New York and then heading to sunny Los Angeles. I'm not quite sure why, but when he does, he meets Bob Baker. And it's not until he meets Bob Baker in 1949 that he would become interested in puppets or puppeteering, but that's the rest of his life. There's a lot of people who have names that fit their profession in this episode fred cook alton wood puppets oh wood. i think he's a puppet <laughs> and that america is my case <laughs> prove me wrong puppet bones don't try to these aren't human bones <laughs> they're puppet bones i don't know too much about their friendship or what they were like when they first met but that year the two opened up bob baker productions and the two would start building puppets and models for films and television as well as building toy marionettes to sell in stores and if a major la store would carry their marionettes he would or i guess they would create a window display for the store with the marionettes mm. they are doing a majority of this work in west hollywood in two buildings they had like right next to each other uh, on santa monica boulevard near ogden which is close to crescent heights he would work with walt disney on some of the films where the sunset strip almost begins at crescent heights yeah I, I, I yeah but not on sunset on santa monica but yeah if you want to think of it linearly like that sure you're testing me aren't you you're testing me <laughs> see if i would listen to yeah. other episodes of this podcast yeah, i don't it's the our annual end of the year exam from la <laughs> what drugs was judy garland taking when she died puppets <laughs> he would work with walt disney on some of the films and shows but i think more importantly creating actual puppets for disney studios and this weird idea disney had called friggin disneyland bob baker productions created toy pinocchio pup I almost said puppets. Puppets. <laughs> so he would create toy Pinocchio puppets, marionettes, to be sold at Disneyland, as well as creating window displays on Main Street USA, decorated with his window. <laughs> I just thought about the puppets again. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see that yeah. show, the puppets. The puppets. If anyone from Bob Baker is listening to this, we're in. We're in. You can model it after our legs. <laughs> model their dancing after our shrill voices. <laughs> model their dancing after our convulsive Julia Stiles type dancing. <laughs> is she okay? Oh, she's dancing. She's having the time of her life. Yeah. That's the problem. Like I was saying, he was building Pinocchio puppets to be sold as toys, and he was also creating window displays for Main Street USA, which is pretty cool. I read that was from like 1955 to 1972, but I also read 1968 to 1972, so I don't really know when he was doing it, but I feel like it was pretty early on. It is said that the day before Disneyland opened, Bob Baker walked through the gates of the park with Walt Disney by his side, hmm. which is a, that's a get. The promotional windows also graced Knott's Berry Farm, also outside of County Lines. Huh. Um, Strike those from the records. Yeah. Now, not to dismiss his accomplishments on film, but because we're here to talk about the theater, we should just probably graze through some of his film credits. I didn't know he did movie stuff. They weren't puppets in movies, but he would create like effects and models and stuff like that. Bedducks and Broomsticks, Escape from Witch Mountain. He did the broomstick. He did the broomstick. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. What? What did he do in that? I think he did the aliens in that. Really? Yeah. Richard Dreyfus was a puppet. He was a puppet. The mom from Christmas Story was a puppet. The mashed potato pile was a puppet. <laughs> Little boy in the door, puppet. And he also, I don't know what he did for this movie, but he, in 1944. French director, puppet. Anymore, before I go on, you're going to keep interrupting Let me, me think about the cast of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yeah, Richard um, Dreyfus, the little kid. Hillbillies that were watching the aliens, puppets. Director <laughs> film, puppet. He also worked on the 1954 version of A Star is Born with Judy Garland. Whoa, puppet. puppet. <laughs> also puppet. Known puppet. <laughs> Notorious puppet, Judy Garland. <laughs> as well as many television shows. He worked on the Liberace show 
puppet. and some commercials. <laughs> Sexuality puppet. <laughs> he really puppeteered that heterosexuality. <laughs> heterosexuality. <laughs> I'm turning it to Gomer. On. I'm a heterosexual. He worked on commercials for Bob's Big Boy. Whoa. Puppet. Yeah. McDonald's and Burger King, among many others. Huh. Burger King, known puppet. <laughs> a puppet to the actual Burger King, <laughs> who is Carl Jr. Uh, he also created the model of the monster in the 1954 film Monster from the Ocean Floor, one of the okay. very early films produced by Roger Corman. Huh. His greatest accomplishment for puppets in film occurred when he convinced Ronald Reagan, the puppet. actor, the, and the puppet, the actor, and the president of the Screen Actors Guild. He would look, go on to become president of something else, uh, <laughs> the he, biggest Screen Actors Guild in the, <laughs> the world. United States. <laughs> he convinced Ronald Reagan that puppets belonged in the Performers Union, so he helped unionize puppets. Are you or have you ever been a known puppet? Name names, <laughs> Bobo. <laughs> Bobo. <laughs> Happy the birthday, dog. Walkie, <laughs> uh, the talkie banana. <laughs> so He's been to Russia. You, you want to get it all out of your system before I? No. <laughs> no, I don't. I want to keep it <laughs> no, in and I let keep, it out slowly. I keep making up puppet names. So now the two have plenty of work coming in and are doing pretty well and decide to buy a studio in downtown LA just outside of Echo Park at 1345 West 1st Street beside, but also kind of underneath the Beverly Bridge, which is not the official name, but it's Beverly on top of it. Oh, so we'll okay. call it the Beverly Bridge. And at the point or one of the ends of a weird five point intersection. Yeah, I hate which that. Daniel hates. I hate that intersection so much. I think they just finished renovating it, which I'm sure is even worse now. Yeah, I'm sure they added another street. <laughs> it goes up. The building was previously a movie scenery shop for the Academy Award winning special effects artist M.P. Paul, who, by the way, won a specific or technical Academy Award for the first successful large area seamless translucent background. I do not know for what know. film or what project or even what that means. <laughs> it sounds cool, though. Yeah, none of that made any sense. I it bet was... it's the reason why 2001 is like a beautiful movie. It's because he had this something this guy created. And we're like, I have no idea. Uh, that guy's an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad he's dead. Whatever happened. <laughs> the Space Bob and Alton bought was pretty roomy. It was 7,500 square feet. And as Bob said in an interview, the building had been marked as part of an urban renewal effort for the area. And he thought this would be a prime location as part of that renewal. The renewal project moved to the hilariously named LA area South Park. And instead of being part of that rebirth of this area that they bought this space at, they chose a spot that many would call industrial. Although it's not because there's houses right behind it. So it's like residential, but the it everything looks, on that street is pretty industrial. It looks like it because it's under like four different freeways. And it's windowless. And sure, there's trash everywhere and there's a whole new shade of gray that they discovered only over in that area. Well, this gets to the point of the this. what I was about to say is that in every article I read about the theater, the exterior was put down and not very subtly. Before Dabs Mila put that mural up, which I love, by the way, and I cannot there's stand. Another, well, it's not there anymore, but that would have been a nice mural to look at yeah yeah i think that was my thing is still there i think it's been tagged over a bunch but you can still see some of the charm but everybody loves to put the building down there was very very little to get excited about just from looking at the building except for the courtyard it's a white brick facade in an industrial lot beside a bridge it's called unassuming at its most flattering ugly at its most critical (laughs) it certainly doesn't exude magic but that's something i like about the original building it had like the charm of the exterior of willy wonka's chocolate factory was the second time we brought up willy wonka (laughs) but from the outside of wonka's factory it looks like joyless and plain like yeah. it, it just serves the purpose yeah. as efficient yeah. we but make as, puppets here but it's almost purposefully deceitful because no inside nonsense. yeah inside is a blast of nostalgic charm and true actual magic yeah like magic is made here inside it's lush with red velvet drapes and grand chandeliers and the curtains and the smells in a little 200 person shoebox theater adults in folding chairs kids sit on the carpet sitting in what one paper called and i love this and i stole the thing the magic circle okay so that's the yeah it is was it chairs or was it just like 
bleachers around the edges. I think it was chairs. Okay. It was on bleacher stands, but they were <laughs> on chairs. Chairs on, yeah. bleacher. chairs on bleacher stands. And then you put a booster or, seat on top of that. <laughs> on like platforms. But the kids sit around the carpet of the puppet thing. Yeah. So the puppets yeah. can come and sit on the kids' laps and yeah. stuff. I don't and know then if I, I read... come and sit on the kids' laps too. <laughs> and I'm asked to leave. Why? I'll just say it now that I passed that theater my entire life. Didn't know what it looked like inside. Didn't uh-huh. know what happened inside. Assumed if it was open at all because it didn't always look open. I knew that the marquee would change. Never saw really anyone going inside. Never knew anybody who had seen a show there. Like I was interested. It looked like I, it sounded like it would be cool. But at the same time, I also thought it would be a little bit like the land of make believe in Mister Rogers, like the the kind of gross looking marionettes. The, they, they kind of are. They're not. They don't have human faces at all. They're like well, fun, well crafted. I'm talking about like cleanliness wise. Oh, I see. Well, you're being you're you're digging. You're going for a dig. I'm just saying like it could use a wash. I don't think it could. Okay. I think that it's fine the way it is. Was, or was was <laughs> I think it's fine the way it will never be again <laughs> when we went was that the first time you had gone there no that was the second time okay i'd gone maybe the year or two years before for the pretty things peep show which was one of the when they revamped everything they yeah. had like night shows for Adult. like a t- but that was your first children's my show. first children's show was the spooktacular that was fun like a month before it shut its doors i think was it oh we'll get to, we'll get to everything yeah. wait they shut their doors <laughs> <laughs> is this a new act? quick let's get to the end of it i want to hear about how i relate to it <laughs> i don't know if i read correctly but initially bob baker just wanted the space to work on marionettes and shoot puppetry scenes that in-house for movies that is one aspect of the building they bought but it seems that even pretty early on part of this space was being used as a puppet theater for kids like a live theater i'm going to read an article from i think it's 1967 or 68 by cecil smith from the la times that drama critic wrote an article about the experience there and i feel like it stands here's professionalism at the highest level imaginative colorful dealing basically in fanciful abstractions rather than telling still another twice told tale what is more important is that the children and there were nearly 200 of them there that saturday morning most of them in the age bracket of like two to five sat transfixed enchanted by the proceedings and i as enchanted as they baker's christmas show this year's surprise package involves a glistening snow king and queen a benevolent witch a little boy at bedtime bells that turn into dancing maze fairies flying through the air and a host of musical instruments and animals and toys performing drums march into the arena beating themselves lyres and mandolins stroke their own strings a stuffed elephant waddles by winking a long-lashed eye. A red-headed rag doll does an eye-rolling flopsy dance. A jumping jack leaps skyward from his box. All of these acts and more are played down with the children themselves. In Baker's handsome red and white theater, the kids sit in a wide circle on the scarlet carpeted floor and the Muppets move out Muppets. Hey, hey, whoa, so, whoa, whoa. Sorry, whoa. you're right, you're right, right. The kids in a white... <laughs> the puppets. <laughs> the puppets, please. The puppets move out from the red velvet proscenium to perform in the arena style, moving close to the kids, touching them, even crawling onto their laps. Through a remarkable tape of music and songs, some songs in French, the acts flow quickly and the effect is less a variety review than a series of forms and movements that create a wonderfully fanciful experience like a child's dream. Oh, there are some concrete segments, one involving Santa and Mrs. Claus. Some acts have their specific songs, like the bear on the ball with the parasol but most of the program has how could that be a song <laughs> what, what would they possibly yeah, do with how, that? there's no musicality to that but most of the program has this dreamland fairyland quality that's what the basic show was but my uh-huh. favorite part after Saturday's performance mothers gathered around Wood telling him never before had they seen 
Jr. sit still for 10 minutes, much less an hour? Woodstock answer, we spread magic dust around. This they have in abundance. <laughs> so this is what they I call it asbestos. <laughs> this is like year three of being open. Mm-hmm. And this is an experience that people talk about for like decades. Yeah. Like it's a similar experience. Of like you walk in there. Yeah. You walk in there, you sit around and it's just magic happens for everybody. It, and so it, it's a good show. It feels like I, I know, I think I'm on the record as saying how much I hate summer camp. Yeah. But this feels like summer camp in a good way. Like right. when, when something I actually wanted to be doing at summer camp was happening. That's what it feels like when you walk in there. It's like, oh, go in there. Sit in, sit in this uh, folding yeah. chair. Don't sit on the carpet. You're not a child, Daniel. It's weird because it had the, the homemade charm of the Old Town Music Hall, but it was done by this huge talent, one of the best in the business, yeah. probably the most but talented also, person to be doing that. But also, it had, I don't know how it was back then, but they had a huge cast of people. Like, yeah. I feel like there's more there's more people that can run a puppet than play a mighty Wurlitzer. Right. There was a community there of the people that worked there, it felt like. I totally And agree. plus, we got ice cream at the end, and it was delicious. It was delicious. We'll get to that, but that's a traditional after show yeah, thing. We'll save it. Save it. And after save, every, oh, it's right save here. Save it for after the show. It's literally right here. And after every <laughs> show is a tradition of giving out free cups of vanilla ice cream with wooden spoons, yes, that's punch, the, and cookies. That's the, the key thing is it's those cups with the wooden spoons. Again, that I would get at summer camp. That yeah. was the only part I liked about it. That's, that's, what, maybe I'm that's what I'm about. talking about. <laughs> Let's do a segment on those ice cream cups, which they sell at, where was I? I think the- They have them at like Ralph. You could get yeah. like a giant bag of them at Ralph's, but I want to give them to me by a puppet. <laughs> for free. For free after I, I buy a for ticket. A ticket. <laughs> this is one thing I was going to get you. They were selling patches of that ice cream cup. Oh, really? the Bob Baker Theater. Uh, should I be expecting it soon or what's the deal with that? I believe you got everything that's coming to you. <laughs> you got everything coming your way. And in about two weeks, you'll see symptoms of another thing that you have coming <laughs> to you. So after they get all the snacks, like I said, cookies, punch, ice cream, you would do a tour of the of the workshop. Oh, we didn't get to do that, We did didn't we? get to do that. They were circulating shows year-round, but they would play for birthday parties. If it was your birthday at Bob Baker, it was a big deal, not only for the kid whose birthday was, but for the staff too. Like it, if it was a kid's birthday, it seemed like it was a big, <laughs> fun thing to do. They also played for field trips, and they had Hollywood productions where it seemed like also a big deal. The Nutcracker seemed like an annual show they would do. Something to crow about is a long-running Bob Baker show. I don't know how long it's been running for, but I was seeing ads for it in like in the 70s. And it's a show they do like now. What is it? Something to crow about. It's like a farm. Oh, I thought you it's were like a farm app. I thought you were saying, well, this is something to crow about. I thought this was some new uh, folksy <laughs> saying you picked up in Big Bear. Classical vaudeville bit of ours. I don't know how long they've been. <laughs> yeah, been... but who's playing something to crow about? <laughs> who's the crow? <laughs> I don't know how long the spooktacular has been going on, but it was a transcendent experience for both of us. It was great. Uh, Hooray LA was a show started in the 80s that was Bob Baker's love letter to LA. On the website about the show, it reads, for a limited time only, experience the 1933 earthquake, the development of the LA freeways, and the arrival of radio, all in its most entertaining form through a puppet show. In 1973, there was a show called Spooks and Clowns, including Draculas and Vampires, to all manner of anthropoids and ostriches in circus garb, which is one paper wrote that. I'm like, I don't know what that is, but it sounds great. In 1967, they could fill the theater up for a show, and we're doing road shows as far east as Des Moines and as far south as Boise, performing at fairs, churches, women's clubs, and various special dates. In 1965, they performed at the Hermosa Drive School for the students with the money made going towards buying books for the library. Uh, again, in 1967, they started doing shows at the National Orange Show in Orange County, and I read an article in San Bernardino Sun in 1973, and it was, it was beloved. Like the like when Bob Aker's show came, it was like a big deal for the Orange Show. They did like 15 shows in a day, I think. And working on that show with him was Sandy Price. Sandy Price is the granddaughter of Henry Gordon, who taught Bob Baker how to be a puppeteer. And, and her mother, Tina Price, had worked alongside Bob as well. The two of the Gordon and Price helped him when he did this tour of the movies her home to perform. The theater yeah. itself usually had about 25 workers at different levels of production. And this included film projects as well. They had like a team 
of growing at this yeah, time. Yeah, that's what I said. It's hard to track when it all starts to die down, but Bob and Alton seem to be working hard through the 70s in all projects. Theater productions, road shows, film projects. I imagine that Perfectly timed pause. As always. I imagine <laughs> I that... I felt something. I imagine that come the late 70s and early 80s, things began to get hard as the film industry changed from practical effects to computer-generated right. imagery. And as what, most they things... they didn't use puppets in Highlander? There was no puppetry? Attendance at weekday puppet shows dwindled as schools struggled with budget problems and began cutting back on field trips mm. right when Greg is growing up. <laughs> as Bob said in interviews, that specific area that they are in did not grant them a lot of foot traffic. There's like a community of people who work for the theater, but as far as like foot traffic people who live nearby he said there was no community that well, ever that's, that's cared. such an who would walk to that awful area there's like a residential area right behind it if i lived around there and i was going on my daily walk i wouldn't want to head towards that intersection you would have been mugged every day i hope <laughs> i walk around there i don't get mugged but you would have been uh because you're a mark let um, him try i've seen home alone 2 so many times let him try to get into my booby trap jacket <laughs> pockets my booby trap dungarees <laughs> i can't even go to my pockets <laughs> i can't get my own wallet <laughs> the bob baker theater Rely, seemed to rely heavily in the 80s and 90s they relied heavily on kids being shipped in like on field trips or birthday parties like yeah. there didn't seem to be like a community that's which right. is why growing up i never met anybody who went there well that's weird i would think that you of all people like that would be where your school would if there was anything going on yeah like it would be happening at bob baker yeah, or they can come to my school that was up the street they could have performed <laughs> in our auditorium the cat would have it would have up yeah. in this wire the cat would have attacked the puppets so in 1988 they sold a theater because baker wanted to do a tour like a sh like go on the road and wood was ready to retire so the theater found a new owner in donald batjes who himself was a longtime puppeteer as well as being the former director of corporate real estate for the 20th century mm. fox can't think of a better person to he opens up the new bob baker puppets incorporated and it doesn't really go well he wasn't buying the theater though he was buying the workspace because he concentrated solely on the lucrative end of bob baker's operation which was making marionettes because bob baker had a huge clientele he had like disney and Warner Brothers. Mm -hmm. So if you're buying Bob Baker's shop, you're buying the clients as yeah. well. Too Mad much for Man him. 101. Business proved too much for him. And he even got rid of the red and gold interior and redecorated. Yuck. And he wants, so he's ready to sell it early 90s. He wants out because of marginal profitability. Although he says in a paper, he's proud of refurbishing Quote, the unquote, theater. Marginal, yeah. marginal profitability. There was no marginal profitability. But he says he's proud of refurbishing the theater. You shouldn't be. <laughs> At the same time he wants out, Bob and Alton want back in because they've grown to miss the theater in the last three years. Baker and Wood came back and bought their old space back but when they came back the theater was deep in debt over $25,000 in debt and over 3,000 puppets were missing <laughs> 3,000 like, puppets? yeah or it looked like they might get help from two like businesses a, something the UN should be looking into yeah for sure yeah they, there should have been posters all over the city <laughs> have you seen these puppets <laughs> 3,000 pictures <laughs> it looked like they might get help from two businessmen who shared the property with the theater Ernie Castillo and his friend Edward Maldonado Edward helped the theater get the insurance they needed to reopen as well as dealing with some financial red tape but over time both of these men lost interest one of them lost interest the other one had health problems so they were just they mm. these two men who came the in one gained interest uh, then yeah. lost it it's so funny because like the newspapers at the time they agreed to help were like two angels have come to save Bob Baker <laughs> these two men have valiantly come to aid the theater and then a year later it's like well they're <laughs> theaters back on the market <laughs> these two angels lost yeah. interest at that point he had to negotiate a mortgage on his house and reinstate the nonprofit status to keep the theater alive they had a fundraiser in March of 1992 where they had a special performance and reception 
and sold marionettes and t-shirts had a birthday giveaway he was really fighting to keep this place in 1992 in that same article he mentions having hopes to raise enough money to open an on-site educational facility the academy of puppetry and allied arts which would offer classes in puppet manipulation and experimental puppetry because all the while a younger generation was growing under the wing of bob baker and don batches he keeps talking about like yeah we had like more and more staff more and more kids here more volunteers so like as bob baker and this other guy are mentioning all newspapers like oh yeah and it was like full of young people learning how to use puppets and that's the generation i feel like the generation that is now in there that being said though for the rest of its existence it would struggle financially 1994 saw the return of their fun farm show something to crow about and it was even reported in the the show called it was even reported in the la times i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go for it we've been practicing this bit for a month (laughs) in that article it says petunia don't tell anyone is the most requested puppet which one is petunia i think it's the the one that's a flower i thought petunia was the daisy but that might be daisy (laughs) yeah i guess it makes sense that petunia would be a flower yeah I, I don't know why I let you trick me anyways though here we go in 2001 Alton Wood passes away the theater continues struggling for money and attendance which I don't consider to be the same problem in 2008 they were behind on their mortgage payments and the property was listed for sale for 1.5 million dollars the theater was able to stay open with the assistance of the Ombudsman Foundation and other donors in 2008 a big help came a year later again when the theater was recognized by the LA City Council as a designated historic cultural landmark I'm learning that doesn't mean much <laughs> uh, I'm learning that means the building can still stay there as long as there's a chipotle inside of it yeah exactly yeah the same problem arose four years later in 2012 when the spot was put back on the market for two million dollars as he was struggling to pay hundred fifty thousand dollars back in back taxes it was then saved when charles phoenix hosted a gala fundraiser they were able to raise a million dollars to save the theater as well as build a school and museum of puppetry i believe in 2013 he loses the theater to a mortgage lending company who had a lease on the theater house up to a certain point then the lease would be extended month to month which is an Mm. awful idea the show went on nonetheless but in November 2014 Bob Baker passes away at the age of 90 he lived in the same house he grew up in in Koreatown he performed until he was 86 years old the LA Times ran this memorial for him where people wrote letters and I was struck by this passage from Francis Littman of Sherman Oaks the Times obituary notes that Baker has no immediate survivors not exactly he had 4,000 friends in those puppets and countless children who he enchanted and entertained for more than 50 years that was his family and his legacy to a city that has little regard for its rich and wonderful history I'm with you 100%, Miss Lippman. Francis. His loss is very tragic, but thanks to all of the people he touched in his lifetime, the theater he created outlived him. And his predecessors have been fighting hard and succeeding in getting the theater noticed on a bigger scale. And with social media... Successors. What did I say? Predecessors. Oh, I said predecessors. Yeah, you're right. Successors, you're right. Someone doesn't know his Roman roots, but... You know what they did in Rome? They killed killed their fellow countryman, (laughs) Jesus. I'm sure for correcting each other. That was a murderable (laughs) offense. So if you're going around saying how much you know about Rome... Oh, well... Yeah, pizza, garlic. (laughs) Me being five for some reason. Sprite five. Senators, I get it. With social media, his successors have breathed Mm -hmm. life into the theater thanks to its new executive director and head puppeteer, Alex Evans, and Winona Bechtel, director of development and the community engagement, and a whole slew of eager puppeteers and lots of volunteers. These people really took ownership of this treasured thing. After Bob's death, the theater started booking more of evening events, mixed puppet shows with like movie screenings and then music Mm -hmm. performances. So like the types of shows changed. I see 
crossover between Old Town Music Hall and Bob Baker. I was kind of curious why it wasn't happening already. Like, it's perfect. Like, they yeah. they fit perfectly into yeah. each other. Puppets hanging off of the Wurlitzer? Stop it. They'd have a great time. Ask them. The puppets would love it. <laughs> they were able to obtain a nonprofit status, which is really helpful. Bob Baker requested to not have a funeral. So, to celebrate his life... Just tie up my body <laughs> to strings. Donate my bones to a puppet to come to life. So, to celebrate his life, the new generation celebrate Bob Baker Day, which is celebrated on February 29th, Bob's birthday. In February of That's this year... That's a leap year, day, isn't it? February yeah, it is. So they only celebrate every four years. Of course. <laughs> of course. That's the luck. So in February of this year, it was celebrated at Alley Historic Park, and I could not go, and I have mm. not gotten over it. That could have been my last thing yeah. I did before <laughs> quarantine. Well, you know that puppets transmit it even easier than oh, humans. no. They carry oh it for God. longer. I shouldn't have been macking with Petunia. <laughs> Whatever she is. All this, though, and still the old problem kept arising, the property in Echo Park, the beloved original theater. The noise first started in 2017 when word was traveling around that an apartment building was being planned for the property. And since the theater was dealing with the lease month to month, it felt like the machines of change that had killed so many beloved LA spots like Meltdown could not be stopped. <laughs> you could thank property owner Eli Emelik for that stuff. I'll share a photo of his <laughs> development plans where he wanted to keep the theater but build a box complex for rich people to live. Uh, that makes Bob Baker look like the lobby of the building it's like built around it's awful and who would want okay whatever Bob why don't they build a condo and it's only occupied by puppets oh my god that's a great idea it's a great idea Call everyone profits for them to survive Bob Baker's marionette theater would have to be sacrificed the actual physical space would have to go by 2018 Evans and his team announced that they would be leaving the old white brick building and looking for a new home at the time they announced that they had nowhere to go they had no plans how are there up. so many more airplanes today than all other days people want to travel they're all coming home from Christmas. They're all coming home from Christmas. Fresh new shipment of the coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> this one travels through masks. So that year on November 24th, they performed the Nutcracker at the Pasadena Playhouse, which seemed like it was going to be their home for a bit. They performed a while at the Santa Monica Pier, by the way, at the Hippodrome. They have a window display set up. I don't know until when, but I feel like after you listen to this episode, you should probably go see it because it might not be there for much longer. Yeah, it's going to be gone. The last show at the original Bob Baker Theater took place on November 23rd, 2018. It seemed like a month after we were there. Really? spooktacular on november 29th 2019 they moved into their new home a former movie theater turned korean church on the corner of york boulevard and north avenue 50 in highland park a truly perfect spot for them mm -hmm. like like i'm so happy that they yeah. found this place it's a little bit in a gentrified area but there's still some locals that's a whole area where there are there is foot traffic there yeah. is places to park there They're like it is a welcoming it looks like a theater it looks mm -hmm. like puppets would perform <laughs> here at this theater that is not an old yeah. white brick building yeah it doesn't look like a, a tire warehouse next it doesn't like they just import carpets. So Evans and Bechtel signed a 10-year lease for this spot. <laughs> the original theater that it used to be was the York Theater, and it hosted movies and vaudeville performances in the 20s, so it's kind of like perfect in that mm -hmm. regard. They plan to get comfortable in the new space in two phases. First, getting the theater ready to receive audiences, and the second, establishing a space for the workshops, smaller shows, a library, and the Bob Baker Museum, all in that one space. It was looking also promising, and Bob Baker's name was starting to get more and more recognition from celebrities, and it was becoming hip again because it's all over social media. Everybody I follow on Instagram would be into Bob Baker and mm. would be going showing up to Bob Baker shows. So like it was finally in my face. I could not ignore it anymore. It, was, it wasn't a secret anymore. Yeah. Now people want me to actually see what a Bob <laughs> Baker show is like. In February, they have Bob Baker Day at say Historic Park. Then coronavirus hit mm -hmm. and everything was just tossed into the air. They've been putting on plenty that's of... the problem. When you're a puppet, that's a problem. They've been putting on plenty of Zoom shows. I attended the costume party on Halloween and they're putting lots of content out there. If you are not in California or LA, you want to see what it's like, follow their YouTube channel or just anything 
anything on social yeah, media. They, they actually did a free Christmas Eve thing yeah. that I haven't watched yet, but it's like a half hour free show on YouTube. I watched it Christmas Eve. It was great. <laughs> You're not supposed to watch it then, but uh, that's the wrong time to watch it. They briefly had a walkthrough going on where you and a group of six people that you felt comfortable with can go and walk through the theater before, you know. How'd but that go? There was a big surge in cases and they had to close again. Thank you for asking. And we found where it came from. It's Bobo. <laughs> it's Corona, the puppet virus. They should have named them that. I feel like it was last month they had to put an SOS out saying mm-hmm. like that they did not have enough funds to survive That's the rest the of the That's the name of COVID. another puppet. SOS, the emergency puppet. The he, emergency fund like puppet. Medic, yeah. He's just like one of the clowns, the scary clowns. In, uh, Piggy's Big Adventure, the scary clowns that are also doctors. Uh, and it was looking like, honestly, when they put that call out, it looked like it was going to be the end of Bob Baker Theater. And they're... Yeah, at least in their new home like they were going to be like 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 near dark with the puppets they just like drift city to city looking for a home as of today when i wrote this christmas eve 2020 they were able to raise enough money to last through 2021 a true christmas miracle but please do not stop supporting the bob baker marionette theater the original spot was saved Mm -hmm. so many times and it still ended up in apartment complex so please if you love puppet magic and fun and nostalgia please support bob baker marionette theater buy stuff go to shows when you can subscribe to their youtube channel let everyone know what's going on the bob baker marionette theater because if it has the support it's going to be harder to knock it down well the gift shop is a really good way to support it because yeah. I think it's too late for anyone to buy gifts yeah uh, you can sponsor i think like uh, comedy it. mom cindy sponsored two uh, marionettes and you can buy like oh, really? marionettes That's on fun. the website you can do a lot of stuff you can support them on patreon uh, when you're done supporting us can i pay for the surgeries they need <laughs> yeah Shut up. Um, every review and article always mentions two things. Free ice cream after the show. Mm-hmm. Two. How much? Did I say the first one again? And the second thing is how much the kids loved it. The love really poured into other age groups, but we were at the Spooktacular in 2018 and the kids were still loving it. That does not go away. Like through generations, if you put those puppets in puppets front of kids. Puppets are still cool for kids. For kids. They yeah. were cool for me too. They Look, you and me think puppets are really cool, but yeah. I've never met anyone else who has been like, I like puppets. Because yeah. I went to like a puppet museum and it was the coolest thing in the world. And I was showing people pictures and like, oh, <laughs> I don't, why, do, why would you go to this? Like, yeah, puppets are cool. Puppets are very cool. Especially their, their puppets are the coolest puppets are out there. So that's Bob Baker Marionette Theater. Please keep supporting them. Give them money. Give them money. Uh, this is another thing of like, yeah, it's not the same watching them online or something. But if you ever want the chance to see it in person, you have to slog through watching a puppet show online. But no. No, you don't have to slog through it because it's, yeah, it's they, still, they still put on a really good show. Yeah. I, I've been watching their video content since I started doing research and they have really great videos online and the Zoom show was a lot of fun too and they they do not go soft. They still, they're still <laughs> they still going hard on their performances. It's great. I love it. The gift shop has really good stuff. Yeah. I was really surprised by by everything. Yeah. Like it wasn't just some gift shops are kind of generic and bad but these were really cool unique things yeah. and they weren't that expensive so that's, yeah. that's a good way to keep it going if you don't want to you know as I said slog through one of their that's right. Our treasured meekling, Eric Martinez, who drew our logo, also did a thing for their spooktacular. This oh, really? Year too. Yeah, he drew their uh, gift bags for the walkthrough. And it was the jack o' lantern. I never know the jack o' lantern's name, but it was a jack o' lantern. I'm going to say it might be Jack. I can't, I can't if see how. If the flower's name is Petunia, I don't see how I, that I can't see be. how that's, that's. I don't see the connection, but sure. <laughs> okay, so let's get to our last one now. Okay. This one, uh, it's. How did I get here? My grandchildren dropped me off at the bank and I walked away. My grandkids dropped me off at the podcast studio. <laughs> this one, it's not a whimsical uh, theater. It's not a delicious place to eat delicious steaks. It's a place to feed your mind. It's a very weird place, but I love it. I've only been here a few times, but now that 
the, I know more about it. Like, mm-hmm. oh, great. I missed out on this place, <laughs> maybe. Okay, let's get into it. There's no man like Vroman, <laughs> and hopefully there won't be no store in store for us. I thought you were doing the panorama. I forgot about Vroman. No, I'm not doing Yeah. I thought you were thinking the bookstore was weird. No, the panorama, I decided to go with Vroman's. <laughs> wow, okay. I know you told me Vroman's before. I guess I didn't I guess I guess didn't know well, you are doing Pacific Dining Car. Vroman's is one of the places that you specifically save, save our Vroman's, saying, yeah. Yeah, save our, save our books. The last business we have at risk here is Vroman's beloved bookstore. It is beloved. Pasadena, the Veloslavsky Panorama. <laughs> <laughs> this place was started by yet another guy from LA history who I had no idea about before, but now I want to grow up to be this guy, Adam Clark Vroman. He was born 1856 in either LaSalle or Homer, Illinois, and had what apparently was an unhistoric childhood because there's nothing written about it. But at age 16, he left home, or Homer, and in 1874 started working for the Chicago, Burlington, and Quincy Railroads. So he was a little runaway who grabbed his bindle, went to work on the railroad. Like me, like the lie I tell everybody about my childhood, yeah, like a freight hopping kid, yeah, like I was Bob catching Dylan. out every every city I can go to. Your fake Bob Dylan origin story <laughs> you tell people, you tell the press. I'm Arlo Guthrie. I'm the bastard son of Woody Guthrie. No, my name is also Arlo, one. though. And my songs are only two minutes. <laughs> and they're about other railroads I've seen in my life. <laughs> they're always about the menus at restaurants. <laughs> so eventually he met a woman named Esther Hollingshead Greased and just couldn't spell re- that. Couldn't resist that name, Esther. The, yeah, Esther. Is it with an H or not? How do you spell greased? Is it greased? <laughs> it's not like greased is the word. Like gr- <laughs> greased, almost grift. Like G- it's it's not like it's G R I E S T. Okay, a terrible name. But anyway, he just couldn't resist that name, so he married her. But <laughs> as was the tradition back then, she was struck with tuberculosis. Oh, TB. And back TB TB. That's how you spell it. <laughs> and back then, there was only one cure for tuberculosis: to move to Pasadena. So what a, what a thing. What, what, a, what a thing Good it was. thing we know so much about viruses <laughs> now. It seems to be sometime around 1890 that the two moved out here, but unfortunately it wasn't enough and Esther died just two years after that. So mm-hmm. now this left Roman all alone stranded in Pasadena without many options. So in November 1894, he sold off his personal book collection in a fit of irony to raise money to open up a bookstore. <laughs> I sold all my books. Now I have the building. Oh, no. Oh, uh, where's about inventory? Oh, <laughs> oh geez. Oh, I forgot what I was selling. What kind of store is this that I bought? Oh, no. So he also had the help of a partner named J.S. Glasscock, which is uh, another name of my finishing move. Who, <laughs> Don't ask me what it is. I just have to perform it. He was a stationer, which is someone who sells stationery, which makes sense. Makes sense. The store was called Glasscock. Gla- this should be our new vocal warm-up. Glasscock and Vroman. That was the name of the store. It was located at 60 East Colorado Street, which is now Jamba Juice, and opened November 15th, 1894, becoming Pasadena's first bookstore and also sold stationery. Which uh, the, it? 4,000 stationery <laughs> store. At the time in that area of Pasadena, there was a hotel, a butcher, a blacksmith, and this store. Oh my God. That's what was in Pasadena. But aside from selling books, Roman also had another passion he had picked up a couple years before, photography. Oh. He started out taking pictures of the landscapes and architecture around California, sometimes with other amateur photographers experimenting with new types of cameras and techniques. But Pasadena around this time was an intellectual hub with people like Roman, but also our old friend Charles Lummis. Oh, right. Okay. And a guy named Frederick Webb Hodge, who worked for the Bureau of American Ethnology. I don't know what it is about Vromans, but I kind of assume Charles Lummis was involved somehow. He wasn't, but he was involved with Roman. He wasn't involved with the bookstore, the bookstore but they were, with Roman they were friends. But okay. Ro- I would dare to say Roman was more involved with Lummis. <laughs> you must have read something that connected Maybe I did, them yeah. in your head. I'm a, I'm a reader. Oh, I mean, you must have 
have watched a video you on YouTube. You must have watched a TikTok. You must, about have, oh, you must have overheard two smart people talking. Through the wall of your stupid house. <laughs> Whatever trash can you were hiding in because you were trying to eat food like a raccoon. A common trait amongst these men in Pasadena in particular. Little old men in Pasadena? <laughs> little old intellectuals from Pasadena. <laughs> there was a passion for preserving Spanish and native culture and history. So along with Lummis, Roman helped push for the preservation of the decaying missions and also the founding of the Southwest Museum. Oh, wow. So okay. Vro- uh, Roman, Vromus, I'll call them Vromus. Oh, Vromus. They, they were the ones that founded wow. the Southwest Museum. So Roman started turning his photography towards these goals. Between 1895 and 1905, he photographed the insides and outsides of all the California missions pre-restoration. Wow. But what he became really well known for was his photography of Native Americans. His first trip for this was in 1895 when he traveled to Arizona to see a Hopi snake dance. And in total, I think he made eight photographic trips of different tribes across the southwest and yeah. kind of the west often with Lummis along for the ride doing okay. his crazy thing oh, Lummis, yeah he insisted on walking <laughs> he insisted on walking <laughs> alright I'll meet you there in four years yeah that's L- don't leave so. until 1921 because that's about, about the time I'll get there yeah. leaving today 1917 uh, leave some flapjacks for me <laughs> um, he went to New Mexico Arizona Colorado and Utah taking pictures of the Hopi Navajo and Zumi among others but those three Hopi Navajo and Zuni he had a particularly good relationship of trust and respect that he had built with them and that was why his photography of the tribes is so well regarded because as opposed to the other pictures being taken of tribes at the time which like would sensationalize them either negatively or made them overly romanticize them Roman's pictures were completely neutral like they weren't staged they weren't degrading or exploitative or anything mm-hmm. like that they just showed them as they were living their daily lives candidly a, not necessarily ki- like they were still sitting you know they would oh, sit okay. and look at the camera but it was just like this is them like, oh, okay. this is, like, it's not like oh stand in front of this axe yeah 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 it would just show how they lived and in doing so it offered a sympathetic view and humanized them to a country who saw them either as subhuman or romanticized lost people from the past neither of which was the case yeah he just showed them living their lives it was because of this that he was chosen to be part of three expeditions put on by the smithsonian through the bureau of american ethnology and his friend frederick webb hodge Mm -hmm. to the southwest with the goal of documenting as many pueblos and tribal lands as possible the first one was in 1897 which took him to the Enchanted Mesa in New Mexico which I've actually been to I was really wow. excited like oh <laughs> it's I know that I'm that <laughs> I could have been on that expedition <laughs> I could have been the another white boy <laughs> that was one the second one was in 1899 to the Pueblo tribe and the third was the Museum Gates expedition in 1901 but some of his photos from these trips actually helped prove previous habitation on these lands and helped get some of them granted that land federally as a reservation his photographs were used in the cases they were making to the government wow of like we've been here for hundreds of years this is our land that's crazy so his photographs helped that i'm not entirely sure on this next thing but given how influential his pictures were i think this is true as i said he spent a lot of time with the hopi and the women he photographed had a particular hairstyle of these big buns on the side of their heads and when george lucas was asked about how he came up with Leia's hairstyle he said it was pictures of the revolutionary women in Mexico but they didn't actually have hair like that and what he I think was thinking of was the Hopi women and most likely it was pictures from Roman because wow. he was the one taking all these pictures yeah, but, that's crazy yeah uh, so Roman uh, created Star Wars <laughs> <laughs> you should get a writing credit I think you should probably get some residual <laughs> just throw him on his grave yeah. beyond his work in the southwest he also took a photographic expedition to Japan in 1909 and Europe in 1912 
2012. He never sold or exhibited any of his pictures, but he did give out these like souvenir prints of them that he made to his friends and to the people from the tribes that he was taking pictures of. They were also used on postcards for Fred Harvey, who owned a lot of hotels and restaurants and would give postcards out to tourists that would visit. Fred Harvey of the Harvey girls? <laughs> Fred Harvey sounds familiar, yeah. but I think I'm thinking of Fred Siegel. Yeah, you probably are. Yeah, and also Steve Harvey, as I always <laughs> in my thoughts. Ho- always thinking always of in my Harvey. thoughts, Steve Harvey. <laughs> he became more revered as a photography after his death because now his pictures nowadays they're in the southwest museum they're in the autry they're in the huntington library and the met in new york city but the highest praise of all is that ansel adams cited him as one of his influences wow that's big roman roman romans romans but even cooler than all that was that roman also collected art from asia and the tribes he visited and was also an amateur archaeologist so this guy (laughs) i was wondering when we get to the point where you were like i want to be this man perfect life amateur archaeologist Amateur archaeologist, full-time doting bookstore owner. <laughs> but meanwhile, back in Pasadena, he still had a bookstore to run. In 1900, old Glasscock wanted out, so he sold his share of the store to Roman. And Roman took this opportunity to immediately add photography stuff to their <laughs> merchandise. So Roman was also a very charitable guy and wasn't afraid to even support things that completely went against his business. He was a big early supporter of the Pasadena Public Library, and he even loaned money to a guy who wanted to open up a competing store just so he could have a fair shot. Wow. Sadly, this hero died of intestinal cancer on July 24th, 1916 in Altadena. He must have lived on Santa Claus Lane. Yeah, he must have. There's only one street in Altadena. (laughs) Everything around it's Pasadena. (laughs) He was praised at his funeral for having devoted his life to the pleasure of others. When he died, in keeping with his good guy nature, the bookstore was passed on to a friend, an employee of his, George F. Howell, for a few years, and then on to the guy who had been Roman's godson, Alan David Sheldon, in 1920. And the store always maintained on top of just being a bookstore being a good member of the community yes most notably during world war the war where we all hated japan as we know japanese americans were put in internment camps but the guy who was running romans at the time who was a quaker named herbert nicholson he took it upon himself to drive to manzanar every month to bring a carload of the store's books to the people in the camp really on one of these trips some of the residents of the central valley found out what he was doing and where he was going and they shot up his car. Oh my God. That, you get those books out of here. Yeah, I don't this know if they Central were... Central Valley, California. I don't know what they were more upset about, that they were helping Japanese people or that he brought books into <laughs> Central California. It still didn't stop him. He came, yeah. still came every single month, just reinforced the car, drive below the window line. <laughs> he was also doing the same regularly for two of the camps in Arizona. So he was just driving, driving books. books to yeah. Japanese prisoners. The, the greatest bookmobile of all time. <laughs> yeah. In 1954, the store moved to its current location at 695 East Colorado Boulevard. And with its two floors, of books, it became the biggest bookstore west of the Mississippi, and it stayed that way until the 1970s. Until the Mississippi flooded, it expanded <laughs> its boundaries, and suddenly they also, in 1968, became the first bookstore in the country to use a computerized inventory. Wow! They now have a second location at 3729 East Foothill and four kiosks inside of LAX. I just passed the one on Foothill because Alice's is right around the corner, and we were at the there's a coffee bean drive-through there, and I was in, and I kept looking like that can't be in a second Romans. I would have heard 
heard of it. Surely I would have heard of it. I had no idea either, but this has been there for quite a while. But back at the main one, they now have a coffee shop and also the 1894 Wine Bar, which is the year they opened. uh, The Wine Bar just opened this past February, which, what timing, in efforts to evolve in order to survive as a bookstore in the age of Amazon. And I know some purists are against coffee sold inside of bookstores. I'm sure they're against wine bars inside of a bookstore. But Romans has never been just a bookstore. From the beginning, they were selling stationery Uh and books. Then they did photography supplies and books. Then in the 50s, they sold office furniture. And today, they sell all books layout of games. And yeah, they have a big gift section, but also like it's a gift community section. center because they have so many speakers there. Uh, um, Greg, actually, <laughs> could you uh, p- uh, put a pin in that? Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, so it's a big community thing. <laughs> they also do apparently free gift wrapping. But yeah, they, oh, okay. uh, from what I hear, they have a great gift shop as yeah. well. They sell great local handmade gifts. Yes. They also have stayed engaged since around 1931. You ever heard of this? Since 1931 <laughs> when they started hosting live author talks. You ever heard of this? I never heard of that before. We're talking about Romans still? <laughs> We're talking about the Veloslavsky pan- <laughs> panorama still? And today, today meeting 10 months ago, they have over 400 free events a year. They have trivia, crafts classes, weekly kids story time, signings by people like Bill Clinton, Jimmy Carter, Barbara Walters, Upton Sinclair, Ray Bradbaby, David Sedaris, Walter Mosley, Joan Didion, Neil Gaiman, Sonia Sotomayor. Like everyone comes to Rome. Yeah, to it's, a, it's a stop on the author tour. We got to go to Romans. We got to go to yeah, Book Soup. We got to go to Doghouse. We got to go to Tommy's. We got <laughs> to go to Alice's Dog Park. <laughs> In 2014, they even started an author walk of fame out front on the sidewalk complete with handprints, uh, which a writer's going to ruin the one thing they have. <laughs> They're money makers. They're going to stick it in cement. USA Today named them one of the top 10 bookstores in the country, and they're currently the oldest and biggest independent bookstore in Southern California. And they're run by Joel Vroman Sheldon III, who is the great nephew of Alan David Sheldon, who was Vroman's His godson. godson. And all this while maintaining their mission of being as charitable as possible through their Vroman's Gives Back program, where they give part of each sale to local charities. Uh, so far, they've given almost $800,000 to homeless shelters, pet adoptions, public art, public radio, food drives, holiday gift drives, HIV testing, the Girl Scouts, and bone marrow drives, which <laughs> sign me, hey, get some cookies, I'll give you some bone marrow. <laughs> In 2009, the owner of Book Soup died, and the store was at risk of closing, but Roman stepped in and bought them just to make sure that they stayed open. Wow. In the spirit of more independent bookstores, uh, which also, I mean, they'll profit, but more independent <laughs> bookstores. But now the tables have turned, and Romans needs us to be as charitable to them as they have been to our community yeah. for over 100 years. Small bookstores are really hurting right now, and Roman sales have dropped 40% during Whoa. all this. And since September, they've been pleading with people that they need their business, or else this all might come to an end. And yeah. people, they're actually, they're coming to the rescue. So on some days, they've been getting over a 1,000 orders a day. But even with that, their future is uncertain. So do some good by buying books from them to help them get through what is unbelievably their second global pandemic <laughs> that they've had to go through. So support wow. Romans. Yeah, that's, good a good, that's a good place. I mean, like we've just passed Christmas, but they have such good small gifts there. If you're looking for anybody's birthday I know. I feel like we've anything. given some of the best gifts recommendations a week late. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. These places, I, I hope they can pull through because like we don't even have like big book. There's like two Barnes and Nobles yeah. in the city. When I had a buy, I bought Ada a book for her birthday last year. I couldn't believe like, oh, Vromans might be the only bookstore I can go to right now that will for yeah. sure have this yeah. book I'm looking yeah, for. Yeah, because most of the non-Barnes and Noble bookstores are used bookstores yeah. and you God knows what you're going to find in there. I can't think of many. There's, sto- there's stories or Iliad, which is two used bookstores, but like yeah. a good independent bookstore. That has like, they order fresh titles yeah. so that you know they're going to have uh, Sonia Sotomayor's new book. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. Romans is a great bookstore. I've been there like twice. 
twice. Yeah. I wish I had gone there more times and I hope I have the chance to go there more times with a baseball steak from Pacific Dining Car and I'm going to sit in the middle of the historic book section and eat it and... Who cares what happens? Goddamn them if they try <laughs> to stop me. Well, when you're done saving all of the historic LA landmarks... Oh, that's, this is a great transition. You can go ahead and leave the us transition. a review. You can time. save one of the great historic LA histories by leaving us a review uh, on iTunes to say or anywhere else better. that you listen. No, I said it better. Anywhere you listen to us, it, it, leave us a review because it helps us be more searchable if people are looking for LA history podcasts they will find us and then that will allow us to keep doing this to get more stature in this city sure is what we're looking for Uh, you can follow us on Facebook you can follow us on Twitter at LA Meekly you can follow our personal Twitters at DM Zafrin and Grego underscore Gonzo I'm also on Instagram at Grego Gonzo you can follow our Instagram at LA underscore Meekly and subscribe to our YouTube channel we put all of our new episodes and individual segments on there and Mm -hmm. hey if you went to our Slash Magazine video because Playboy Cardi has a new album that has a cover modeled after Slash Magazine <laughs> and our video was linked in the press release about it and we now have like a thousand views on it. You know, all the better for us. Sure, you're not <laughs> listening to it and you just want to say how much you love Playboy Cardi, but uh, look, we're here. We're, <laughs> we're here, here for you. We're here for the all Playboy Cardi Playboy community. Cardi, we're here for you. You know what I've noticed? Because I was like, oh my God, there's all these people listening to it. They're going to be mean to us. But I guess Playboy Cardi has really nice fans because a lot of them are like, I came here for Playboy Cardi, but this video is pretty good. <laughs> I think I did a pretty good job talking about Slash Magazine four years ago or whatever. Really appealing to the rap community, <laughs> the independent rap community. I've always thought that people who like hip hop would probably like punk. <laughs> I always thought that people who like rap would probably like us. <laughs> and also, if uh, if you want to support uh, another flailing institution in Los <laughs> Angeles, you can support us financially on Patreon for as little as $5 a month. We will send you handwritten postcards every month. And for less, it just keeps us going. We won't get a Galdern thing except your name being said. But, uh, you know, we like money. <laughs> we need money. Isn't that right, duck? Yeah. <laughs> Not we got to pay like this money. duck food. We got this brand new duck sound effect machine <laughs> we got to pay off. Any closing thoughts on uh, this horrible, scary time we're in? Uh, it's a horrible, scary time for everybody, individuals and businesses. Because yeah. businesses are people. Businesses are people, according to Republicans. <laughs> according um, to Goldman Sachs. Yeah. I think that um, the government's not going to help us anymore, and we really have to rally around and try to save. And, and who's see- saving us? I don't know. <laughs> Each other. I mean, like, you look at, like, TikTok is helping homeless people get jobs and get food. People have GoFundMes for cancer. I think, like, it's not the government. It's not up to the government to help. It, yeah. it really is communities oh, well, to help look, each other. It is up to the government, but they've chosen not to. Fair. You know, I always worry, like, oh, everybody helped Bob Baker, but we forgot about one thing. Let's all spread our How affection give, and love and if, support for all these businesses. If you've got $10 to give, give. do the math on that and give that much to each of these four places. Yeah. That. Although I what are you going to get for $3 at Pacific just Dining Car? Support. Just give. Just put $3 in the <laughs> yeah. tip jar and let them keep going for another couple they're, But days. they're not open. They don't have a virtual tip jar. Probably have a Patreon. Um, everybody just, does. Here, just tie it to a brick and throw it through the window. <laughs> Problem solved. Yeah, this is, I mean, like, obviously none of us know what the next, like, month to month we don't know what yeah. the world's going to I don't know what's like. going to happen next week and yeah. I definitely don't know what's going to happen in six months when supposedly this might be coming to an end. If we just stand by and support each other and the things we really like, I think that we'll probably have a better chance of making it through this unscathed and minutely traumatized as possible yeah we might have a chance of making it through this without every building in this city being a realty office or or a a starbucks or a condo yeah yeah 
Anyways, <laughs> welcome to 2021. Yeah. Got better. Happy New Year. <laughs> yeah, so we'll see you in February for the month of love. Enjoy the rest of January. Stay home. Please um, keep wearing masks. Please stay home as much just, as possible. Just a little bit longer until yeah. we can all get the vaccine. Keep staying safe because the hospitals are um, war zones. Yeah, vitamin D, multivitamins, take some zinc, yeah. take some... Uh, Here comes your crazy camp. coronavirus <laughs> cures from Greg. Um, you know it was made in a lab, right? <laughs> Thank um, you yeah, everyone so stay much for safe. listening. And Stay let's safe. have a better year. Thanks for last year. Let's have an even better year this time because yep. there's literally nowhere to go but up. Yep. Actually, we can go a lot further. But well, Every year, I think it can't get worse. And then 2020 <laughs> happened, and I thought it could probably get more worse. Than <laughs> At that. least there's not a nuclear war. <laughs> all those airplanes you were hearing, there's something. <laughs> At cr- least not all males were peeing blood. Oh, no. We're both males, and we pee. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm sterile. <laughs> so that's been yet another episode of L.A. Meekly since... Monday, Tuesday, Tuesday, Thursday, Thursday, uh, since 2013. (laughs) We'll go home.